Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. I did the first live stream a couple of weeks ago. That one was on Bitcoin and got a lot of feedback on that one. And a lot of people were coming up with potential topics for the next one. And I think the most common request was for inflation or deflation. Which one is it going to be? Because there are a lot of people out there who are, you know, who see the world similar to the way I do as far as the problems that are confronting the U.S. economy in particular, but the global economy as well. And but everybody seems to fall into two camps as to how it's all going to go down, whether it's deflation that's coming and you should prepare for that or whether it's inflation that's coming and you should prepare for that. Now, I am uh, an inflationist, right? I am in that camp. Other people in that camp, maybe like Jim Rickards, uh, who falls in that camp, or Jimmy Rogers, or um, uh, Mark Faber. There are a number of people who would be in the inflation camp. Deflation would be guys like Robert Prechter, uh, Harry Dent. I mean, there are a number of guys that are looking for deflation. Now, before I really get into it, I want to talk a little bit about the terms So we know what we're talking with. Let's define the terms. I mean, what is inflation and what is deflation? Well, the actual definition of inflation or the actual meaning of the word uh, is an expansion of the money supply. That's what inflation is. It's not about prices. If you think about the word inflate, right, what does inflate mean? It means to expand, right? You inflate a balloon, right? When you inflate a balloon, it expands. Prices don't expand. They go up, they go down. They don't expand. So what expands? Money supply. When the government creates money, the money supply expands like a balloon. It blows up. And so that's what inflation is. It's an expansion of the money supply. Deflation is the opposite. It is a contraction of the money supply. Now, when you inflate the money supply, when you create more money, you have more money bidding up prices. And so inflation will result in prices going up. But prices going up are not the inflation. They are the consequence of inflation. Now, sometimes um, you can have inflation even when prices are falling. Now, how can that be? Well, let's say prices were going to um, go up by, um, or or suppose prices were going to drop by 5% one year. But instead, the government expands the money supply and prices remain the same. They don't decline by 5%. Well, prices are 5% higher than they otherwise would have been. So there's 5% inflation there. People were robbed of the benefit of being able to buy stuff for 5% less money. 
See, falling prices are a good thing. And if inflation prevents prices from falling, well, that is a, a bad thing. So inflation is when money supply expands. Deflation is when it contracts. Obviously, money supply has expanded dramatically as a result of quantitative easing because quantitative easing is by definition inflation. It's an expansion of the money supply. And prices that went up were stock prices, real estate prices, bond prices, all those assets going up in price were also the result of inflation. Now, the reason that governments and, and economists and politicians try to change the name of inflation or the definition, the meaning of inflation, if you get an old Webster's Dictionary, it will define inflation as an expansion of the money supply. It's the newer dictionaries that define inflation as rising prices. And the reason that the government worked hard to change the perception and people's understanding of inflation is because if people understand that inflation is money supply growing, well, then they know who causes that. The government does that. But if people think inflation is rising prices, well, then they can blame it on businessmen or unions or whoever is raising the prices. And the government can pretend that there's some other source of inflation other than their own monetary policy. But inflation is created by government and it's like a tax, right? When the government prints money and spends it into circulation, it is robbing everybody of their purchasing power. See, the government can take purchasing power from you in two ways. It can do it honestly through taxation, right? It can take some of your money through a tax. It can levy a tax and take your money, or it could just create money and spend it. And what that does is destroys the purchasing power of the money you have. So either way, you lose purchasing power. Either you lose it because the government takes your money, or you lose it because they take the value out of your money. So that's, that's what's inflation. But now, now, when most people think about what's coming, are we going to have inflation or are we going to have deflation, they are focused on prices. So the people who think we're going to have deflation think prices are going to come down for everything. right? Stock prices are going to go down. Real estate prices are going to go down. But they also think consumer prices are going to go down. Food prices, energy prices, the price of gold is going to go down. Everything is going to go down. And therefore, their recommendation is to keep all your money in cash, right? to stay in dollars, and to wait for everything to crash. And then use your dollars to buy a bunch of assets, including gold or stocks. Because a lot of the people who are in the deflation camp still agree with me that we're ultimately headed for inflation. They just think it's deflation first. Like first we get big deflation and then we get massive or hyperinflation. So they want to prepare for what they think comes first. Now, I think that we're going to skip that part. I don't think we're going to have this big collapse in prices where the dollar rises and everything collapses. I think we're going to skip that and I think we're going to have uh, inflation. I think we're going to have prices going up. Now, we may not have stock prices going up that much. But I think that uh, goods prices, food, energy, commodities, you know, raw materials, agriculture, and gold, all those prices are going to go up much faster than the stock market or real estate. And I think the dollar is going to get killed. So I think that people who are preparing for deflation and who are holding on to U.S. dollars are going to get killed. I think they're going to get wiped out. I think people that are in the U.S. stock market will ultimately do better 
than people who are hoarding dollars or hoarding U.S. treasuries. Now, you know, the thing is, even if the deflationists are right and you adopt my strategy, you still win because the, the deflationists will say in the long run, I'm right. We're going to have deflation first and then massive inflation second. But if I'm right and you follow the advice of the deflationists, you're wiped out. So if you're going to play it safe, if you're not sure who's right, is it going to be inflation or is it going to be deflation? By default, just take my strategy. Because even if the deflationists were right, are right, if you sit tight, you'll win with my strategy. Now, you would be better off if deflationists are right to hold on to a bunch of dollars and buy gold when it goes to 500 or 400, wherever they think it's going to go. But if they think it's ultimately going to 10, 20,000 or wherever, if you buy it right now, you're still going to win. But if you follow the deflationists and you're sitting on all these dollars waiting for $500 gold and it never goes down there, right? If you're waiting for everything to fall and it never happens, you know, you're like uh, Charlie Brown or like Linus uh, and uh, Charlie Brown's sister in that uh, great pumpkin patch, you know, waiting for this great pumpkin to come on Halloween and he, he, he never shows up. Meanwhile, all the other kids are, are trick-or-treating and getting candy and you're sitting there waiting for this great pumpkin. And that's kind of what I think uh, the deflation boogeyman is. You know, a lot of the people who think there's going to be deflation, these guys always look back to the 1930s, right? They say, oh, you know, we had deflation in the 1930s. Yeah, we were on a gold standard in the 1930s. There's a big difference between an economy on a gold standard and an economy that's on a fiat monetary system. I mean, if you want to measure prices in terms of gold, yeah, we're going to get deflation. I believe the price of everything is going to come down in gold. So if you have a gold dollar, right, if you have a silver dollar or you have a $20 gold piece, for you, you're going to see deflation. You're going to see the price of stocks coming down. You're going to see the price of energy and food. Things will get you know, cheaper, just like they did in the 1930s. Because in the 1930s, if you had a dollar, it was made of silver, right? You had real money. But people don't have that today. We just have paper money. And so the Federal Reserve is going to be able to do what it couldn't do in the 1930s. We are going to print money like it's going out of style. And that means it's massive inflation in terms of paper dollars. Now, a lot of people think, but Peter, you're going to see a contraction of the money supply because there's going to be all these defaults on bonds. No, there's not. There would be defaults on bonds if the government did the right thing. If the government allowed interest rates to really rise, then you would see a lot of bonds defaulting and you would see a lot of money disappearing, right? Because when credit, when, when somebody uh, is owed a million dollars and now the, 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 the borrower defaults, that destroys a million dollars. A million dollars that I thought I had just evaporated because the guy that was going to pay me back is, doesn't have the money. And so the money disappears, right? And so you think, well, if money is disappearing because of defaults, well, then that's deflation because now there's less money. But that's not going to happen because the Federal Reserve and other central banks aren't going to let it happen. They will keep printing. They will keep interest rates artificially low. So the borrowers will not have to default. It'll be easy to repay their debts in cheap money, in debased money. That's what's going to happen. So the Federal Reserve, or rather the Treasury, is not going to default on its obligations. Everybody will be paid. They're going to be paid in money that doesn't buy very much. Right? As long as they have a printing press. And even Ben Bernanke said that himself. He said there will never be deflation in the United States. 
because as long as we have a printing press, we're going to use it. And that's one of the only things that Ben Bernanke is going to get right. Right. The one thing the Federal Reserve could do is create inflation. Right. And, and that's supposedly their goal where they're going to succeed. They're going to succeed beyond their wildest dreams. And I wonder when some of these guys, because a lot of the deflationists have been waiting for gold to collapse. Here we are. We're over fourteen hundred an ounce. I don't know when some of these guys are going to throw in the towel. Are they going to let gold go to fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred, two thousand? Are they going to wait forever for that great pumpkin of buying gold at four hundred, wherever they think it's going to go? When will they throw in the towel and admit that we're not going to get that outcome? That it is inflation, maybe even hyperinflation, and you better be prepared. Right? Uh, you know, don't prepare for the dollar going up. There's no way that's happening. The dollar is going to collapse. And I don't care about the arguments about this milkshake theory or the dollar is the cleanest, dirty shirt in the hamper. It's not. It's the dirtiest shirt in that hamper. You know, before I go and I'm going to start taking some questions and uh, on this live stream, I wish I could actually see uh, the questions, uh, the chat uh, going through. I don't know how I can. Maybe I could. Paul can tell me how to find that so I can see all the chat and everything. Because right now I, I don't I don't see anything. I'm still stuck on the last one that we that we uh, that we that we turned off. But my dad, I've been selling this book. I'm actually surprised that I still have copies of this book left. This book is the Kingdom of Malts, and I'll give you guys the story on this book. So my father wrote a book called The Biggest Con, and I wish I still had copies. I don't. Uh, you can find them online. I don't have any extra copies. I have a few copies, but I want to keep those for myself. But that book was published, my dad's book, The The Biggest Con. The initial title of that book was uh, The U.S. Government, Public Enemy Number One. And the reason my dad called the U.S. Government Public Enemy Number One is when he wrote that book, uh, uh, Jerry Ford, Gerald Ford was president. And he declared inflation public enemy number one back in the 1970s, public enemy number one. And since my father knew that the government caused inflation, if inflation was public enemy number one, well, then the government was public enemy number one because the government caused the inflation. But Random House didn't like that title. And so they came up with a title called The Biggest Con. Now, part of the original Biggest Con was this book, this little story. That's also where how an economy grows and why it it doesn't, which I turned into my own version, how an economy grows and why it crashes. Uh, which I will be updating at some point. I think I'm going to wait till Trump finishes the first term, and then I'm going to update that classic of that book. My, uh, but my dad wrote, there were two fiction stories in The Biggest Con. One of them, they, the publishers left in. This other one, The Kingdom of Malts, they cut out. Now, my dad started his own publishing company called Freedom Books. And the first book he published was this one. And my brother and I used to joke, because we said, Dad, you're, why is it Freedom Books? You got one book. It should be called Freedom Book. But, you know, he was looking, you know, into the future and he was optimistic. So he called it Freedom Books, even though he only had one book. And this was the first one. And it originally sold for $2.50, uh, The Kingdom of Mall. It's a fantastic little book, wonderfully illustrated by a guy by the name of Andy Ice. So my dad sold a bunch of copies of this book. And he ran out. And in, and in 2000, he reprinted the book and sold it for $10. And then that the, these were the last copies. And up until I discovered several cases of these books in a warehouse, 
after my father passed, I went and looked through the stuff and there was a bunch of these books. And at the time they were selling you, if you wanted to buy one of these books, they were there. You can go to eBay or Amazon. They were selling for like $200 a copy, some more. Uh, so people really want them, but I had them. I sell them now and I still have books. I mean, I'm going to run out certainly probably by the end of this year. I doubt I'll have them left, but you know, I, it's taken longer to sell them than I thought. But, um, and the market's still not bad. I mean, if you go on Amazon or eBay, they're not $200 a copy anymore, but they're more than I'm selling them for. But these are brand new. They've never been opened before, and I autographed them all. Uh, so they're not autographed by my dad. But the reason I really like this book is it really explains in a simple way inflation. And people need to understand inflation because we are headed for massive inflation. And, you know, it's already higher than what the government admits because the CPI is reverse engineered, right? They changed the methodology for calculating the CPI back in the 1990s, the Boskin Commission. See, the government said that they thought that the, the CPI was overstating inflation, and so they fixed it. Yeah, they fixed it like the mafia fixes things. The fix is in when it comes to the CPI. So the CPI, by design, understates inflation. Then the, the economists and the Federal Reserve can look at this rigged CPI and claim there's not enough inflation, we need more. Right. So a lot of people will say, Peter Schiff, you were wrong. You said there'd be inflation. There is inflation. Right. The government is just hiding it. But yes, it's not as bad as I said it would be, but it will be. In fact, it's going to be worse than I said it would be. And in fact, a lot of the inflation is in the uh, stock market and the bond market. And, you know, a lot of people, too, and they want to criticize me because they said, hey, Peter, you said there'd be inflation and it hasn't happened. Yeah. But what did the Federal Reserve say? There was no housing bubble in 2007, 2008. Ben Bernanke. Janet Yellen, there's nothing to worry about. There's no housing bubble. Even if housing prices come down, it's not going to hurt the economy. They could not have been more wrong. Yet everybody wants to give them a pass, right? Everybody wants to focus on my prediction of inflation. Oh, Peter Schiff, you're wrong. We haven't had inflation. And they want to listen to the Fed. Well, look how wrong the Fed was about the financial crisis. I nailed that crisis. I saw that coming from a mile away. No one at the Fed saw it, or at least if they saw it, they weren't honest about it. They didn't admit it to anybody. So who knows? Either they're incompetent or they lie. But either way, you can't trust them. But anyway, so let me go and now look at the, um, the questions. So number one, I'm looking. I got to take a little drink of water. I still can't see the live stream, but I have somebody sending me some of the top questions. First one is I'm going to do is coming from Bree. Can you explain where all the QE and 0% inflation is hiding? It should have hit consumer prices by now, I would think. Well, it has. As I said, consumer prices are rising. It's just that the CPI doesn't really pick up the increase. You know, I did uh, uh, a study on this. In fact, there's a YouTube video, I forget, I made a few years ago in which I went over the CPI and how crazy it is. But one of the things I remember particularly that I did is it was, I think, in 2013 when I did this. And I looked at the government's uh, CPI, and one of the categories they had there was newspapers and magazines. And the government claimed that over the 10 years from 2002 to 2013, that the price of newspapers and magazines had gone up by 30%, and so maybe about 3% a year. Well, that's easy to check, because newspapers and magazines, they write the price right on the cover. So I went back using the internet 
and I took like the top 20 newspapers and magazines, Time, Newsweek, Life, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, big newspapers and magazines. And I looked at what the price was in 2003. And then I looked at the price in 2013. And the average increase was not 30%. It was 130%. So somehow the CPI took 130% increase in prices and hedonically adjusted it down to just 30%. So this is what we're dealing with. We're not getting honest numbers. You know, expecting the government to put out honest statistics on inflation is like expecting the mafia to give out honest statistics about crime. Right? They're not going to do it. But the other part of your question is, where is the inflation hiding? Check, take a look at the stock market. Take a look at the uh, real estate market, the bond market. Look at rare art. Look at collectible cars. I mean, all sorts of things have gone way up. That's inflation. Asset prices are prices. You know, stocks are not up because of earnings being up. They're up just because there's more money bidding the prices up. So the inflation is there. It's hiding in places that people like. Everybody likes inflation when it makes them richer. The problem is it eventually makes everybody poorer, and that's when people don't like it. Anyway, let me go to the next question from Colby Callahan. I want to own a home and have been waiting for the price crash for a few years. Can restricted supply keep prices high even though the next crash I live in San Jose? Well, I know the way to San Jose. And, uh, I, you know, if you're looking for the optical, optimal uh, buy on real estate, I would wait. I think prices in terms of gold are going to come down. Whether they come down in terms of dollar bills, paper money, is a different story. We don't know. I think they will. But I think the drop will be dramatic. I think California real estate could lose 80 to 90% of its value in terms of gold, maybe more. Uh, so I would take the money that I would have otherwise put as a down payment for a, pe- for a pe- property and invest it uh, maybe in gold or silver stocks, physical gold, or just get out of the dollar even, you know, and, and wait for a more opportune time uh, to buy if you really want to buy in, in Southern California. But California has a lot of problems uh, that I think are going to make the real estate crash in that state particularly bu- brutal. Uh, So, you know, if if you're concerned about not overpaying, I wouldn't buy. I mean, the only way people will make money on real estate is having their mortgage wiped out to inflation. So that's, you know, the only real, uh, you know, rationale is, you know, there could inflation could wipe out the debt. And so, uh, you know, you'll make money as a debtor, though, not as an owner of real estate. You'll make money because you have debt. Now, of course, if I'm wrong and we get deflation, then that's not going to work, right? Then you're even in worse shape. Um, let me go to the next question from, all right, well, it's the guys, he claims his first name is Dick. And, uh, you know, his last name, I'm not even going to say. All right, he wants to know if I am wearing pants. Well, I guess he paid $5, so I might as well answer the question. I am actually not wearing pants. I am still wearing a bathing suit that I had on earlier today. Uh, You know, it's summer here in Connecticut, and I was by the pool. In fact, I actually had a tennis lesson today, and I wore my bathing suit during that tennis lesson. So I'm not naked, but I do not have long pants on. I am wearing a bathing suit.
that makes you happy. Yes, okay. Now, what's the next question? From Rick Saxton. This is on Japan. Now, I get a lot of people talking about Japan. So let's look at um, this question here. Japan has double the debt to GDP that we have and has negative interest rates, yet they, have, they don't have inflation. If Japan doesn't have inflation, then how could we be on the verge of inflation? They are at least 20 years ahead of us. Okay, I get the Japan argument a lot. Now, first of all, Japan has inflation, right? Remember what I said earlier. Prices in Japan should be falling. Instead, they're stable, right? So prices should be falling in Japan based on production, based on demographics, based on a lot of things. Prices should be coming down. But the inflation that the government is creating in Japan is preventing prices from coming down. That is doing damage to the Japanese economy. The Japanese economy would be, be, would be better off if the government set back and allowed prices to fall. Uh, but eventually, inflation in Japan is not going to be simply the suppression of falling prices. Prices are eventually going to really rise. And that is going to be a big problem for Japan because the Japanese government does have a lot of debt at very, very low interest rates. And once prices start to rise, there is a huge problem that Japan is going to have with that debt. But Japan and the United States are in different positions because Japan is a creditor nation, meaning that the world owes Japan more than Japan owes the world. And the Japanese citizens have a lot of domestic savings. So even though the government has a lot of debt, their citizens have a lot of savings. Now, some of that savings, of course, is government debt, and so that could end up being defaulted on. We'll see. Uh, But they have a lot of savings. Now, the Japanese also have a lot of foreign assets. The Japanese government owns over one trillion of U.S. Treasury bonds, right? So we owe Japan. The U.S. government owes Japan. I mean, the American government doesn't have any Japanese government bonds. So the American, the Japanese government doesn't owe the American government anything. But the American government owes Japan over a trillion dollars. So Japan has these assets, right? Japan could cash in those treasuries and repay a good chunk of its debt if it wanted to, right? We, we don't have that ability because we don't have any uh, JGBs. Uh, the difference is, see, America is already broke. We don't have the domestic pool of savings that Japan has. We are the world's biggest debtor nation. We owe the world a hell of a lot more than the world owes us. We have massive current account, massive trade deficits. The Japanese economy is far more stable because they have a lot of their own manufacturing. They're more, you know, they, they, they can fend for themselves. Our manufacturing is a much smaller part of our GDP. Our GDP is all based on consumption, based on consumers spending money, based on government spending money. But where do they get all the money? We borrow it. And, and so we are far, much further ahead than Japan as far as screwing up our economy. So we don't have the luxury of what Japan did. We're we're not starting this crazed monetary policy from a position of strength. And if you look where Japan was when they started this policy, they were in great shape. They had basically no national debt. The government hardly had any debt in Japan. They had a very sound economy. They really screwed it up. And this was all about pursuing a weak yen, trying to prop up the dollar, so they can keep exporting to the U.S. I mean, we really screwed them up by getting them to think that their salvation or their economic vitality 
rested on exporting to a bunch of people who can't afford to pay for anything. That was the mistake. And the politicians tried to uh, maintain these bubbles instead of allowing free market forces uh, to restructure. I mean, Japan could be in so much better shape if they simply allowed stocks to keep falling, real estate to keep falling, allowed uh, bankruptcies and defaults to take place, allowed the yen to rise in value. Uh, and th they would be, uh, they'd own probably the world right now. They would be so far uh, the mo ahead. Uh, but they basically screwed themselves over. But we are not going to be like Japan. You know, I keep hearing people say, oh, you know, we better be careful because we don't want to end up like Japan. We'd be lucky to end up like Japan. No, we're going to end up like Argentina or maybe worse. Maybe we'd be worse than Argentina. But Japan is not what we have to look forward to. It, that, that would be a great outcome if we could end up only having the problems that Japan has. But I think there's no way we're going to get away that easy. Anyway, let me go to the next one. This is Justin. Says, I have 2.4 million US dollars in assets that are appreciation, appreciating. Should I invest 20% into commodities right now or wait? Well, I don't know what assets you have that are appreciating. I'm assuming maybe they're all US stocks or US bonds. And the answer to your question is, yeah, I would sell. I mean, I think US stocks are the most overvalued of any stocks in any major market. So if you're going to be in the stock market, it should not be in the US market. Now, I've been saying that for a number of years, and the US market has done better than the foreign markets I've been investing in. But that it is an unsustainable bubble. And I'm not in this uh, you know, to uh, win, on, you know, win in the short run. I want to win in the long run. Like if I go to a poker game, my goal is not to win the first few hands. My goal is to have all the chips when the game is over. And I don't care if people win a few hands, if I know I'm eventually going to take all their money. And I think the people who have been in the U.S. stock market are the suckers in this game, and they don't realize that I'm going to take all their money. And, and so what you need to do is get out of U.S. stocks and get into uh, international stocks. And a lot of those stocks should include companies that have exposure to resources. But as far as commodities are concerned, the best commodity that you could buy right now is gold or maybe silver. Buy precious metals. Even though I think all commodities will go up, I think the precious metals are going to go up the most. What everybody should do, if you're listening to this program right now, the easiest thing you can do is go to goldmoney.com and open up an account. You know, just, you know, fill out. I know you got to fill out a lot of paperwork, know your customer, KYC. The government makes it a lot more complicated than it needs to be, but it's worth it. Get yourself a gold money account, buy yourself some gold, and start building. You can buy 25 bucks worth, $50 worth. Right, small amounts and build up. Buy silver if you want. Uh, and 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 the, the good thing about having the gold money account is your gold is liquid. You can send it anywhere in the world to for free. So if one of your friends, if you want to give some of your friends some of your gold, uh, you know you you know you could just uh, you know send it over, and they can they can withdraw it. They can take a debit card to an ATM machine and turn it into cash if they need it. But try not to do that. Try to keep it in gold or silver. Um, you know, that's a great way to get started. But if you're like this individual, if you got two and a half million dollars, uh, you should have an account with me. You should go to, you know, look at well, up here. Well, where it is. It's all backwards. There it is right there. Go to Europe Pacific Capital, my website, and, uh, you know, open up a managed account. I manage money for people in my mutual funds. I got five mutual funds. And um, I've got um, uh, separately managed accounts that you can get into. 
Uh, so, you know, set those up. You know, and a lot of people too, oh, Peter, look at, you know, a lot of your mutual funds aren't doing that well. Well, that's true. Some of my mutual funds have one or two stars. I think they're all going to have five stars. Right now, my gold fund is my only fund that has five stars because that's an apples to apples comparison. My other funds are apples to oranges because I am preparing for an outcome that other fund managers don't see happening. I think eventually every one of my funds is going to be number one, but don't wait till they're number one to buy it. Don't wait till they have five stars. Buy them before, right? Before the big, the big run-up. But make sure, you know, read the prospectuses, all this. There's risk. You can lose money, yada, yada, yada. But I got my mutual funds. I've got separately managed accounts. You can talk to a broker at your Pacific Capital. Find out, you know, which strategy is right for you. If you live outside the United States, if you're watching, you know, if you're listening to me in another country, the foreign accounts I generally handle through Europe Pacific Asset Management. EPAM, uh, EuroPacificFunds.com is the website. I run that business out of Puerto Rico and I open up and I manage accounts, uh, separate accounts for uh, non-U.S. citizens through that, company, through that company. But people need to be moving. There's a lot of opportunity in foreign markets because when the dollar goes down, by definition, some other currencies are going up. As people are fleeing U.S. markets, that money is going somewhere. That's where I am. I'm anticipating where the money is going to be and I'm there first. I'm waiting for everybody else to figure out what I've known for years. And when they do, it's a big payday for me, I think, and anybody who's been following my advice. Um, here's a guy calling in, Anders uh, from Norway. What do you think about the Norwegian economy? And, you know, obviously, you know, the mistake that the Norwegians are making, they got this gigantic sovereign wealth fund, and, you know, they should not be building up this sovereign wealth fund. Um, uh, but, you know, they have it. But at least the Norwegian government has a bunch of assets as opposed to the U.S. government that has a bunch of liabilities. Uh, but I am bullish on commodities. I'm bullish on oil. There's a lot of oil in Norway. But what I like about what's happening in the Nordic countries, like Norway, like Sweden, everybody likes to hold Norway and Sweden up as examples of how great socialism is. Oh, this is democratic socialism. We should emulate the Nordic countries. Well, you know what? They tried democratic socialism and it failed miserably and they know that. And so the pendulum is swinging in the other direction in that area. They are moving from more government to less government. And I think that trend will continue. It's not you know, always going to be in, in one fluid motion. Sometimes there's a, a step back before you take a couple of steps forward. But the Norwegian, you know, the Scandinavian countries, they got rich under capitalism, not socialism. They started squandering their wealth when they were dumb enough to vote in a bunch of socialism. And then they figured out how bad it was. And now they've been moving back in the other direction. So I have money uh, invested in both Norway and Sweden uh, in our funds. So I am actually uh, optimistic on that part of the world, uh, you know, certainly relative to the United States. Looking for some more people to challenge me, some of the uh, deflationists out there. But let me uh, look at a question coming in from John Wycolis or Wycillus. QE lowers long-term rates with the promise of inflation, but low interest rates traditionally imply the opposite, deflation. How can the Fed explain the contradiction? I'm not really sure uh, what you're getting at there. Um. I mean, low interest rates in a free market, you would think that there would be low interest rates when there wasn't a lot of inflation, right? If there were, because interest rates are basically a compensation 
for not only the time value of money, because people prefer money today than money in the future. And so that time value is priced through an interest rate. That's why these negative yielding bonds are so crazy. I mean, because it, it, it makes no sense. Because you'd rather have money today than money in the future. Yet in Switzerland, you know, 50-year Swiss government bonds have a neg negative yield. I mean, why would anybody want their Swiss francs more in 50 years than today? Right? Someone gives you a, chance, a choice. I'm going to give you a Swiss franc today, or you can wait 50 years, and then I'll give it to you. What idiot's going to pick 50 years? I mean, how many people are even going to be alive in 50 years? I mean, even young people have no idea. They can get hit by a truck. They can get cancer. A lot of things could happen in 50 years. Why is a Swiss franc being paid to you 50 years from now more valuable than getting one right now? Yet that's how this crazy market is. So normally, though, when interest rates are low, it's because money is not losing value. Because if I'm going to loan money to somebody and they're going to pay me back in 10 years, I have to worry about the purchasing power of that money 10 years from now. And if I think there's a lot of inflation, I'm going to have to be compensated for that loss with a higher rate of interest. So normally, when you have high inflation, you have higher interest rates. When you have low inflation, you have low interest rates. So why do we have all this money printing, yet interest rates are so low? It's because of expectations. People expect inflation to be low. And so the premium that they're demanding is low. Uh, so that's distorting the market. But the other thing that's distorting the market is that so much of the bonds are being bought by governments that just print money. So they don't give a damn, right? The, the central banks don't give a damn how much they lose. They are buying bonds for a political purpose. They're trying to prop up an economy or an asset bubble. And it's money that they created out of thin air. So what are they giving them, right? So it's not a real market. The market is being distorted by governments. If no central banks were buying bonds, if it was simply the public that had to buy bonds, interest rates would be sky high right now. People would not be stupid enough to actually take money that they worked hard and earned it and loan it out at a negative rate of interest or even loan it out at a positive rate that's so low, right? So it's all because the governments are in there distorting the markets that it's all screwed up. But this is going to blow up. This is going to blow up in a spectacular way. And if you think it's going to blow up in a way to make the dollar more valuable, you are nuts, right? If you're in that deflation camp, you are completely nuts, right? To think that all the problems that have been created, when it all comes tumbling down, the one thing that's going to retain value is the paper, the Federal Reserve note that they're cranking off of a printing press? Absolutely not, right? That stuff could become worthless because intrinsically it has no value, right? It's all about confidence. I mean, the, the value that the dollar has is I need dollars to pay taxes. That's it, right? Because I, you know, I have to pay taxes in it. But if the dollar is collapsing, well, I don't, I don't want them now. I'll just buy them you know, before tax day. If you're printing them like crazy, I don't need to hoard them. I want to avoid owning them because they're just going to lose value. And that's what's coming. All right, Jackson is writing, will reduced consumption by boomers retiring affect the rate of inflation? No. Remember, inflation is not about people. It's about money. And, you know, Americans are going to spend a lot less. I mean, there's no question about it because prices are going to go up. And when prices go up, people can't afford to buy as much stuff. I mean, Americans are going to get wiped out. Most of the baby boom is going to be broke. They're not going to be consuming much. 
uh, through retirement. Now, a lot of people think, well, if Americans stop buying, won't that mean prices come down? No, because you never, prices are a function of supply and demand. So if demand goes down, what if supply goes down even faster? That's what's going to happen in America. The supply of goods is going to collapse because the dollar is going to collapse. And so all the imports are going to disappear. So imagine what it would be like shopping in America if there were no imported products. I mean, this, you know, prices would be sky high because there'd be nothing to buy. But then the cost of producing stuff dramatic, you know, domestically is going to be very high because inflation is going to drive up the cost of production. And if things cost more to produce, then you produce less stuff. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of inflation and people are going to be buying a lot less. Right. They're going to be buying stuff, but they're going to be paying a lot more for the stuff they buy. So they may they're going to be spending more, but they're going to be consuming less because it's going to be higher prices that they're paying. They're not going to be buying more stuff. They're going to be buying less stuff at much higher prices. I got Maximum Liberty. Okay, that's a good name. Maximum Liberty. Uh, Let me see. Must be an Italian, I guess. uh, Maximus. Uh, Who should Canadian residents call to get into the mining stocks? Well, you know, my uh, company... Europe Pacific Asset Management, I'm pending, I've been pending for months in Canada. I should be registered in Canada. You know, I do have an interest in a Canadian company, Echelon Wealth Partners. It used to be called Europe Pacific Canada. Uh, They renamed it as Echelon, and I am a part owner of that broker-dealer. But I'm also registering Europe Pacific Asset Management in Canada. And so soon I will be able to accept Canadian clients directly from uh, Puerto Rico. And my mutual fund will be available, the Euro Pacific Gold Fund, which is the one fund I've got already that has five stars. In fact, I got a plaque from Lipper because my fund was number one for five years and then number one for three years. Uh, And um, so that fund will be available to Canadians. Uh, Hopefully before the end of the year, you'll be able to buy it in Canada. Right now you can't. Uh, But I'm hoping to start expanding uh, and, you know, I've got a lot of uh, followers up in Canada, and so I think I could get a lot of business. I just need to, you know, the government requires all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, regulations. I got to get licensed and all this stuff up there. Uh, and so I'm going through the process, and it's taken a lot longer than I thought. That's always the case uh, with government regulations. Um, Steve Fernandez, if the American stock market will crash, what markets should go into and when should I come back to American markets? You know, I have no idea when we're going to come back into the American markets. I mean, we'll make that decision when it happens. You know, the U.S. market fell dramatically from 1966 to 1982. 16 years, it was down 70, 80 percent in real terms. Uh, but when Ronald Reagan and Paul Volcker came in, the stock market was a great buy. You know, you could have bought the Dow at seven, eight hundred, and look where it is now, right? Um, you know, twenty-seven thousand. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the U.S. stock market will be a buy at some point in the future. I hope it will, and we'll make that call when it happens. But things are going to be really bad. There'll be blood in the streets. Literally, there'll be blood in the streets. And I'm hoping that we do the right thing. We have to. I have to see, you know, light at the end of a tunnel. I mean, we have to have rejected Keynesianism and and central banking. We have to really shrink government and unleash the free market. And then I can, you know, get optimistic on on U.S. stocks. But for now, I want to understand the way the world is going to change. And you have to understand that Americans have really taken advantage of the dollar-based 
fiat monetary system where we get to print money and everybody else you know works for it so we, we you know we don't have to do the hard part we we, we we don't have to produce we don't have to deal with the with the pollution the hard work uh, everybody else produces stuff and sends it to us and we just create money out of thin air and here you go right and we don't have to save we just spend whatever we earn while people all around the world are are under consuming and sacrificing we're just splurging and indulging ourselves so America has gotten a ride on the global gravy train. Well, that ride is coming to an end. But when Americans have to start living, you know, within their means, that means the rest of the world that's been living beneath their means all of a sudden gets to enjoy the fruits of their labor, their productivity. But that's going to also mean that asset prices in a lot of countries are going to be revalued higher as those countries are relatively wealthier. And so, I, I, you know, I want to go there. I'm trying to invest in the parts of the world that I think will gain what America loses. Uh, and, and so that, that, that's it. It's just a realignment of wealth, realignment of, of living standards, relative asset values, relative exchange rates. All this go, is going to happen. Uh, you know, I wish I could prevent it from happening, but I can't. So if I can't prevent it from happening, I might as well profit from it happening. And, as, and, and since a lot of people are going to uh, be impoverished by what's going to happen to the extent that they can follow my advice and avoid that fate. Well, you know, then I've done a good job. Uh, let me see. Next question. Uh, somebody says, I think the dollar denominated debt worldwide means the dollar will be king. And this is part of the deflation argument that all these countries borrow in dollars and they're going to need dollars to repay their debt, and dollars are going to be scarce. No, they're not. They're going to be anything but scarce. They're going to be abundant. They're going to be falling from the trees. That's how many dollars there's going to be. We already have, the, the budget deficits now are about $1.5 trillion a year. Now, before uh, Trump just signed on to this you know, budget fiasco, which is going to send deficits to $2 trillion a year, but in the next recession, they're going to be $3 trillion a year, more. Where's all this money going to come from? The Fed's going to create it out of thin air, right? And at the same time, a lot of other people who own treasury bonds, as they mature, they're not going to want to roll them over. And so the Fed's going to have to monetize that. So the Fed could be creating five, six, seven trillion dollars a year to monetize debt. The dollar's going to implode. It's going to be easy to repay your dollar debt. No one's going to have to default, right? It's, the dollar's going to be losing value. Inflation benefits debtors. So if they inflate the dollar, then people who owe dollars uh, get, get a big subsidy. So I'm not worried about uh, countries who have borrowed dollars because inflation is their get out of jail free card, right? And, and, and so the, the countries that have a lot of dollar debt, it's like their debt is forgiven. The people who are going to get screwed are the people who own the debt, the people who are owed those dollars. Because they're going to get repaid in dollars that don't buy very much. That is the point. Here I got Edister. Oh, no. So maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong. Today, money printing has led to... Wait. Today, money printing has led to massive inflation. Wait. This thing keeps jumping around. I can't... Re in capital markets over the last 10 years, and the cost of living is also rising. But not, why, can this go, not, why can't it go on for another 10 years? Yeah. Well, that's what people say. Look. Hey, Peter. Look, you've been saying this for 10 years, you know, since the financial crisis. Why can't it go on another 10 years? It could. I mean, I'm not going to say that's impossible. 
because I didn't think it would go 10 years, 10 years ago. But that doesn't mean it's going to go another 10 years. I mean, the odds that we go another 10 years have got to be less than they were 10 years ago that we'd go the first 10. Right. That's what people used to say to me in the housing bubble. Well, why can't the housing bubble go? Why can't prices keep rising? They would tell me this in 2005. Why can't they rise for another 10 years? Well, they could. I just didn't think that they would. But it was possible. And of course, everything imploded. And just because something is possible doesn't mean it's probable or doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean you should bet on it. But look, the fact that the Fed is about to cut rates this week, this is it. They, they gave up. They couldn't get above two and a half. They're going back to zero. They're going back to QE. This is it. This whole thing is falling apart right now. I mean, I don't know how much bigger a neon sign uh, do you need to see. See, the problem is the people who don't understand the bubble don't see the sign, right? They can't read the writing because they don't speak the language. They don't even know that they're in a bubble. So how do they see the pin? I, I've talked about this before. I was warning about the housing bubble in 03, 02 even. 04, 05, when the subprime market blew up in 07, and I was short, you know, I wasn't in the book or the movie, but I was short, and so were several Euro-Pacific Capital clients. We set up a hedge fund. We shorted the subprime market. I think I had a better understanding of the market than any of the people who actually are more famous than me for having shorted it. They made more money than me because I was a small broker at the time. I didn't have enough money in on the trade. That was my problem. I had money in on it. Just I wasn't big enough. I didn't have enough enough there. I still people still made 10 times their money. It was just a smaller pot of money. But I think I had a better understanding of the housing bubble and and why it happened uh, than anybody else, even if I didn't make as much money off of it as as other people did. At least I made some money. Most people made none. Um, But I remember when the housing bubble blew up in 07 and the subprime crisis happened, I was okay. this is it. The crisis is coming. And everybody else was like, dismissive, no big deal, it's contained. They didn't realize the bubble had been pricked. They didn't see the pin because they didn't know they were in a bubble. Same thing again today, same people in an even bigger bubble and they don't know that it's been pricked. I know it, right? And so this, you know, we don't have another 10 years. Is it possible? Anything's possible. I wouldn't want to bet on it. Bredeger. I don't know what kind, of name, what kind of name is that. Brediger, is that a last name? I don't know. Anyway, got a question here. Up to now, inflation has been confined preliminary to assets based on inputs of stipulation. Stimulation. All right. Who's to say the next round won't have the same result? Well, you know, the, the idea that the next round of quantitative easing is going to cause the existing bubbles to get even bigger, I think, is unlikely, right? Because once you've already blown the bubble, I, I realistically, like if a balloon is already inflated to the max, if you blow more air into it, you just break the balloon. I think that's kind of where we are. I really don't think they can get real estate prices much higher. I don't think they can get equity prices much higher. I certainly don't think they can get bond prices much higher when their yields are already negative. Uh, so that's the, you know, the most absurd example of this. So I think it's much more likely that the next round is going to focus on consumer goods, especially since I think that when everything collapses again, a lot of the politicians are going to be like, hey, we don't want more QE for Wall Street. We want the people's QE. We don't want the new money given, you know, spent through the banking system. They're going to want some good old fashioned pump priming 
where the government just sends money directly to the people. Big welfare spending, big government make works programs, you know, direct subsidies where the money goes directly from the Federal Reserve through Congress right to people who don't take the money to the stock market, right? If you give money to rich people, right, they're not going to necessarily buy more stuff. They're buying all the stuff they want. So if rich people get more money, they're going to buy more stocks, right? But if poor and the middle class get more money, they're going to buy more stuff. They're going to buy another television or they're going to buy a car. They're going to buy some clothes. They're going to take a vacation. They're going to buy food, right? Stuff like that. Uh, and, and so the prices are going to go up, right? A lot of people want to fight the last war. I don't want to fight the last war. I want to fight the next war. And uh, that's what it's going to be. You got all these central bankers and politicians all ready to fight deflation, right? I mean, if you look at these stress tests, I've talked about that. The stress tests that the Federal Reserve put all the banks through, you know, the highest rate of inflation they tested for was 2%. These guys can't even conceive of a world where inflation is higher than 2%. And the when they te- stress tested interest rates, the highest they said they would go is unchanged from where they are now. They could not even envision a world where long-term interest rates went up. Well, if you can't envision stagflation, even though it happened in the 1970s, that is exactly what's happening, right? What happens is what you least expect. What everybody is prepared for doesn't happen. It's what you're not prepared for, right? It's Murphy's Law, right? And, uh, and so that's what I'm prepared for, what nobody else is prepared for. Guys asking, does productivity lower prices? Of course, that's the beauty of capitalism. The natural tendency of prices is to decline, and that's a good thing. We all want prices to go down. Is, is, is anybody upset that the first cell phone was the most expensive? Right? Are people upset that cell phones didn't just keep getting more expensive? Nobody would, nobody would have them. The only reason that people have cell phones today is because the prices went down. The same thing with cars. Uh, television sets, computers, you know, everything started out expensive. And then as we found more efficient ways to produce it, the prices got lower and lower. And the lower the prices got, the more people could afford to buy. That's what drives uh, a rising standard of living. The problem is government creates inflation and it inhibits that process, right? It prevents prices from falling. uh, And that's, you know, that's a bad thing. Oh, here's a question. This is a $50 question. Somebody paid $50 to uh, ask this question. So I better, I better give a $50 answer here. Got to make sure I give people their money's worth. This is MMG, invest. Is a global fiat reserve currency like the SDR a basket of fiat plausible? Uh, a, a special drawing right issued by the IMF, if you don't know an SDR, or a SDR fiat basket with gold possible? And how likely is this to happen? Also, with a negative trade deficit, is it possible for a new U.S. gold standard again? Several questions wrapped into one. I guess that's why it's $50. Look, I've never been a big supporter of the SDR. I just don't think the world is going to uh, you know, rush into the SDR. If there's a loss of confidence in the dollar, I don't think people are suddenly going to place their confidence in the IMF. Uh, and, and, so, and, and it's not backed by gold. The IMF doesn't have enough gold to back the, uh, their SDRs. Um, again, I think we are headed back to a gold standard. Gold needs to be the center of the monetary system because it works. What we have now, what we've had since 1971, does not work. 
That's why the global imbalances are the way they are. That's why we've had all these asset bubbles and booms and busts, and that's why we're on the precipice of this massive economic collapse, because we have not had sound money. We've had this fiat money. But I do believe that a lot of central bankers can read the writing on the wall. Central banks are buying gold. They have a lot more to buy because they only own about 25% of the gold and they need to own more. Uh, investors don't own enough gold. Uh, and people are going to buy gold. And gold is going to be remonetized. We will be back on a gold standard. There is going to be no fiat currency that's going to replace the dollar. See, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, well, the dollar is going to be the reserve currency indefinitely because there's nothing to take its place. The euro is not ready. The yen's not ready. I agree. But gold has always been ready. Gold was the center of the monetary system before it became the dollar. And in fact, the only reason the dollar became that reserve currency with Bretton Woods was because America owned all the gold and because we promised to pay gold to bearers of our notes, Federal Reserve notes, dollars on demand. The dollar was as good as gold. So that's why the world accepted the dollar, because we told the world that it was as good as gold and they could get their gold whenever they wanted it. So when, we, when the dollar loses its role as the reserve currency, we're just going to revert back to what was the reserve before the dollar, and that was gold. It's not going to be the euro. It's not going to be the yen. It's going to be gold. And all of these countries are going to have to use gold as the primary reserve to give value to their paper currency. And the smart central banks are buying gold now. Some of the dumb central banks already sold their gold. Uh, you look at the Bank of England. One of the most uh, boneheaded trades ever, these morons sold their gold when it was under $300 an ounce. Now, of course, it's gone down, it's gone up even more in pounds because the pound was a lot higher back then than it is today. So that was an idiotic trade. The Canadians, their, their central bank sold all their gold. Uh, the smart central banks are the ones that are buying gold. The Chinese, the Russians, right? These guys know what's going on. They're buying gold. And you need to buy gold too, right? You got to follow the smart money. Don't hang out with the dumb money. Um, what is the effect of AI on inflation? Again, you got to separate inflation from prices. Artificial intelligence has the uh, capacity to bring prices down, right? Innovation, production, all of that lowers prices. That's good. But when the government creates money, that increases prices or prevents prices from falling because people are using the paper money to buy products. And so the more money there is, they bid up prices, right? If there's less money, then uh, prices can, can fall. Aaron Goldstein. Peter, can you explain in layman's terms why interest rates will rise when the Fed shrinks the balance sheet? And how will the Fed... Well, the Fed's not going to shrink the balance sheet. I mean, they've shrunk it a little bit, but they're going to expand it. They're going to blow it back up again. In fact, they're probably going to announce the end of QT, quantitative tightening. They won't announce quantitative easing yet, but it's coming. Uh, but I actually think that long-term interest rates are going to go up when the Fed you know, does more... Uh, pushing down short rates because it's going to unleash inflation and the Fed is going to lose control of the long end of the bond market, which is going to probably force the Fed into QE sooner than it thinks um, long-term interest rates from rising. Here's a question from Nick Gromico. I have hard assets. Inflation causes those assets to increase in value measured in dollars. Why shouldn't I be happy about inflation? 
Well, I mean, obviously, if you own a lot of assets that will be pushed up um, as a result of inflation, and if you have debt that will be inflated away, then inflation may benefit you. I mean, look, there's winners and losers in inflation, right? The government is a big winner because it has its liabilities inflated away, right? Inflation is a transfer of wealth, really, from, uh, debt from creditors to debtors. People who loan money get screwed, and the people who borrow the money get out of jail free. They don't have to pay it back. So there will be winners and losers. But overall, society is a loser, and, and especially if society breaks down. I mean, because if we end up with runaway inflation, I mean, you know, this is not going to be pretty. You know, and, and then, you know, the governments will try to attack the symptoms. They'll try to have price controls, which will only create shortages in black markets. And, you know, you know, you have riots in the streets. I mean, so it's not going to be pleasant, uh, you know, living through the type of inflation that we're going to go through. Now, it's, it's, you know, it's worse if you get wiped out financially and now you have to go through this. I mean, so I'd rather deal with the unpleasantries and, you know, and having, having been enriched rather than impoverished. So, you know, those are our choices. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's winners and losers. But overall, I think the losers will lose more than the winners gain. I don't think it's a, just a pure transfer because you're really destroying an economy. You're wiping out savings, uh, which, is the, you know, which is the root of capital formation and, and, and economic growth. I mean, you destroy the value of savings when you, through inflation, and that's never a good thing. Um, let me see. Um, why would you buy gold stocks if you think long-term interest rates are going up? Well, because I think inflation is going up faster. See, what is good for gold is falling real rates. Nominal rates don't matter. It's real rates. Let's say interest rates go to 10%, but inflation is 15%. That's negative 5%, right? That's great for gold, right? So uh, what would be bad for gold is if we got very high real interest rates, if interest rates got much higher than the rate of inflation. And I don't expect the that to happen. I just don't think the Fed, the central banks are going to allow that to happen uh, based on how much bonds they're going to be going to be buying. And of course, the short rates are actually more important than the long rates. So even if the long rates go up, the central bank is going to keep the short rates ultra low. And so they're going to be really negative. And so people are going to be looking for an alternative to cash, right, or short term government deposits, and they will be looking to gold. That's why I'm saying get your gold money account now. I mean, people are going to be pouring money into gold money accounts when they need to pull their money out of a bank account because inflation is destroying the value and you want to just get it into gold quickly, you can do that in gold money. And then you actually have liquidity. They'll be able to energize that platform and make it very easy for people to use their gold as a medium of exchange, right? So when currencies are collapsing in value and merchants don't want dollars, right? They don't want to be paid in dollars because they'll lose too much value between the time they get it and the time they have to, you know, restock their inventory. So when merchants start saying we only accept gold, right? Well, you know, you, they can have a gold money account and you can have a gold money account and you can buy the stuff with gold. I mean, that is going to happen one day. I mean, there are, you know, stores, right? In certain South American countries that they don't take the local currency. I mean, not for the good stuff. You want to buy anything, you go in the back room and you got to pay in dollars. Well, when the dollar's crashing, what are they going to demand? They're going to want to be paid in gold. And gold money makes that possible. It makes it practical, right? Because you can break your gold down into tiny grams. I can buy something for a gram of gold and I can transfer one gram from my account to the seller's account 
using an app on my, on my phone. So they've already built a system that will function. Right now, you don't need to do that, right? Spend your dollars, hold on to your gold until you absolutely need it, right? Accumulate as much as you can. And then when it hits the fan, the dollar collapses, now you have the ability to work with a medium of exchange that sellers will accept because they're not gonna to wanna to be paid in something of no value. If they're gonna give up goods and services, they wanna get something of value and gold will be that value. Now, of course, you also wanna have some of your possession. Get some silver coins. Junk silver coins are great to get. You know, old US dimes, quarters, half dollars, junk silver. Premiums are really low right now. You know, get some of those from Shift Gold. Keep them in your house. You know, keep, you know, $100 face. $500,000 face. That's how you sell it. A bag of silver is $1,000 face value of silver coins, you know, minted before 1964 because they're made of silver when we had real money. Next question is why wouldn't the euro fail before the dollar? You know, it could. It could. It's a race to the bottom. I personally think the dollar wins the race, but look, the euro's got a lot of problems. In 50 years, there won't be a euro, you know, or maybe there'll be a euro, but it won't be like today's euro. But I just think that the U.S. is in worse shape. You know, I mean, is the U.S. in worse shape than, than Greece or, you know, or Italy or Portugal? I, you know, I th- actually, I think so. But you got strong economies like Germany, clearly in much better shape than the United States. I mean, Europe, you know, in its entirety is a creditor uh, community. They have a trade surplus. Uh, so they haven't been living beyond their means to the extent that we have. I got to take a quick uh, break. It won't be long. I just got to run over there and get some water because I um, my mouth is too dry and my water is all the way over there. So hold on. And I still haven't managed to get the air conditioning fixed in the studio. And I'm not, I don't spend much time here. I just come down here and do a few interviews. And with these lights, even though it's in the basement, it's normally cool down here, but these lights really heat it up. So I got a door open, but it's, you know, it's uh, late, late July here in uh, Connecticut. All right. Robert Lewis. Peter, since there is an infinite supply of Bitcoins or in, infinite supply of altcoins and Bitcoins and the price keeps falling, can't you say the same for an infinite supply of dollars. I mean, yeah, I mean, there is a infinite supply of cryptocurrencies. That's one of the reasons that I don't think they will work. I know there's not an infinite supply of Bitcoin. I get that. But there's an infinite supply of alternative cryptocurrencies that could be exactly like Bitcoin or can perform the same function. And I know people are going to say, but you know what, this Bitcoin network is here first and it has the, the name recognition and all the infrastructure. And I know all that and I still don't care. I don't think it's going to mean anything in the long run. In fact, you know, I've been looking at the trading patterns of Bitcoin and I'm telling you, if I was long Bitcoin, I would get the hell out. I don't like the way this thing trades. To me, it looks like it wants to go down. I think the main buyers are actually sellers. I think the, the sellers wait for uh, thin volume and then they rush in and they bid up the price to try to get uh, people uh, FOMOing them into the market, kind of fool people into thinking, aha, we're going to go up and that's a sucker rally and they keep hammering the thing. 
uh, to new lows. I mean, the volumes are a fraction of what they used to be. If this thing was really growing, there'd be more volume. Look again, look at Google, look at the search terms. Uh, nobody is searching for Bitcoin anymore. Uh, the market is dead. I mean, right now it's just the whales trying to sucker in new buyers so they can bail out and ring the cash register. That's what's going on. You know, if you're hodling, you're just a bag holder. If you're buying, you're simply letting a whale get out, right? Don't do that. I mean, just get out. If you really like Bitcoin, you'll be able to buy all you want at very cheap prices, you know? So if you think it's going to work long-term, get out now, wait for the crash, and then if you want to, buy back in. I mean, obviously, you won't have to put the same amount of money back in. You can buy the same amount, number of Bitcoin because uh, they'll, be, they'll be extremely cheap relative to, uh, to where they are now. Meanwhile, you know, look, I mean, people are missing these opportunities. People talk about, oh, Bitcoin is going to go up 10x. No, it's not. Silver could go up 10x, a lot easier than, gold, than, than Bitcoin. So if you want to bet something that has 10 times, right, you're, you know, you sell your Bitcoin and get yourself some silver, right? You can get that or, or get the stocks, the mining stocks. The potential there is incredible. People are missing out on this incredible potential because their greed is, 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 is focusing them on these cryptocurrencies. Ken Anderson. Why would you buy gold stocks if you think long-term interest rates are going up? Wouldn't physical gold? Look, I buy both physical gold and gold stocks. But if we're going to have the type of gold rally that I believe, where the price of gold is going to go to 5000 10000 higher, I mean, these gold stocks are going to go up so much more than gold percentage-wise because they are dirt cheap right now. I mean, most of these gold stocks are priced for gold going below 1000 I mean, that's the long-term uh, thinking of most analysts. They're not even priced for gold where it is at 1400 But the, what, what makes gold stocks such a good deal if the price of gold goes way up is because they have a lot of gold in the ground that is not being valued at anything because it, it may cost you know 1500 an ounce to get it out of the ground well if gold is 1400 and it costs you 1500 to get your gold out of the ground what's your gold worth well your gold's not worth anything so the market doesn't assign any value to that gold well what happens if gold goes to 5000 now maybe mining costs go up also and let's say it costs you 2000 to mine your gold but it's worth 5000 well now it's worth $3000 an ounce well, you could have a lot of ounces in the ground that used to have no value, and now they have an incredible amount of value. And you factor that into a stock, and it could mean a stock could go up 50 or 100 times. So, I mean, there are some incredible gains that are coming in these mining stocks. Now, of course, there's some of these small mining stocks are going to go to zero. That's why you should buy a fund, like my fund, right? Because you have a professional. I don't even do it myself. I don't even know enough about the mining industry. That's why I hired Adrian Day to manage my gold fund, because I realize how specialized uh, gold stocks are. And I want somebody who really understands the geology and has been in the business uh, their entire life. I mean, Adrian spent, you know, 35, 40 years or whatever, you know, in this industry. And he knows a lot. He's forgotten more about it than I know. So I wanted to hire somebody that really specializes in it to manage the portfolio. So don't do it yourself. You know, let an expert, you know, if you're just going to buy the major companies, well, anybody can do that. You don't have to have any special knowledge. You just buy the biggest gold miners. But those are not the ones that are going to go up the most, you know. Uh, but, you know, you also have to make sure you avoid the ones that go to zero because that's going to happen, too. So, again, you, you get into a fund. 
uh, your Pacific Gold Fund. And people can buy my Gold Fund anywhere. You can buy it at Schwab, Fidelity, or of course, you can also set up an account with me at your Pacific Capital and get my funds. Michael Pruitt. I disagree when you say people won't spend money in deflation. That is true. They will save because things are cheaper. All right. This is the argument that the economists make as to why we can't have falling prices. Their argument is that we can't have falling prices because nobody will buy anything. People will just wait indefinitely to buy things cheaper. And that is just nonsense. That is just not true because people forget or the economists forget about time value. Having something today is more important than having it tomorrow. See, we know this is true, right? Everybody buys laptop computers and everybody buys cell phones, knowing that if they waited a year, they can buy cheaper. So why not wait a year? Well, because I I want a cell phone now. I don't want to wait a year. I want to use a phone now. So, you know, the only time that people wait for the price to go down is if they can't afford the current price. And if you can't afford the current price, if the price goes up, then you really can't afford it. I mean, I tell the story of the first time I saw a flat screen TV in a store. And I can't remember when it was. It was a long time ago. You know, it was in the 80s or the 90s, whatever it was. And I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. But it was $10,000, which was a lot more money back then than it is today. And I was a young kid. I was in my 20s, I think. And it's like, well, I, you know, I really wanted that flat screen TV, but I couldn't afford $10,000, so I didn't buy it. Now, somebody was buying it. There were some wealthy people. If I had the wealth today, right, that I, you know, I could have bought it. I probably would have. I would have said, oh, I'll be the first one on my block to have this flat screen TV. You know, when the, fir- when the first TVs came out, they were expensive. They were like, it was like buying an automobile. Very few people bought them because they were so expensive. Uh, but then... Now, every TV I have is a flat screen. I remember, you know, when my son, even my older son, you know, the first time he saw a television set that had something behind it, you know, the old, you know, television sets that had all the tubes back there, he was like, what's all that behind the TV? Like, he had never even seen a TV that didn't have a flat screen. It was like, to him, it didn't, he didn't even know what it was, right? But now everybody has a flat screen TV because the price went down. If the price had gone up, nobody would have them because they would be too expensive. So the only time you don't buy something is because you can't afford it. And then when it gets cheap enough, then you buy it. But if you can afford it, you don't wait. You buy it now. Who the hell wants to wait? You, oh, I don't, I don't want to. I'm going to have no cell phone. My, my old cell phone just broke. I'm not going to buy a new one because I'm going to wait a year or two because I can buy one cheaper then. I'm just going to go without one. Bullshit. No one's going to do that. You know, everybody is going to buy. Oh, what if you're hungry? Oh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to eat this hamburger today. If I wait six months and starve myself, it's going to be cheaper. No, you're going to buy it right now. You don't care. In fact, you want things to get cheaper because you know you're going to buy another hamburger. And if, I, if I'm still buying hamburgers in six months, I just assume them be cheaper than they are today. right? And if I buy a cell phone today, I know there's going to be a better one in a few years. And I hope it's cheaper because then it'll be easier for me to buy that. So this is all nonsense. The government has pretended that falling prices are bad so they can create inflation because inflation benefits government, right? That's why they create it. But they've conned the public into thinking that they benefit too. They don't. They lose.
Won't an increase in the taxes be deflationary if the Democrats win? Absolutely not. Because first of all, they're going to increase the marginal tax rates uh, on the rich, which is simply going to discourage investment and production. So you're going to have less supply and they are going to spend a bunch of money on government programs. And they're going to be paying for it, not with higher taxes. They're going to be paying for it with more deficits and more money printing. So the most inflationary thing coming is going to be the Democrats taking over. And the sooner they take over, the sooner that inflation will be that much worse. Let's see. Is there a tipping point where the central banks will have enough gold to reset again? I don't know. I don't know how much they need to have. They just need it's I think it's a it's a gold race right now. You know, I mean, ultimately, you want to get as much gold as you can to back up your currency. But, you know, I don't know how much, you know, the central banks need to have in order to do it. But the more you have, the better. Right. He who has the gold is going to make the rules. Here's a question from Michael Davalos. This is another $50 question, so I better give a $50 answer here. What do you think about large multifamily apartment complexes in oil-dependent parts of North Dakota and Texas? All right, well, obviously, if I was going to buy real estate, I would rather buy rental property, and I would rather buy it in areas of the country that have exportable uh, products. So, you know, oil is, is certainly one of them. Uh, and so uh, to the extent that you think there's going to be a lot of employed people in a community, if you can get a good deal on rental property, then that might not be a bad idea. I mean, personally, I'd rather have rental property outside the U.S. But if you're going to have property, you, you want to have rental property where your tenants will have jobs and be able to pay the rent. Uh, but, you know, the other thing that's going to happen is, you know, you got to make sure that you have uh, landlord friendly uh, la- uh, uh, laws. You don't want to have rent control. You don't want to have anything that prevents you from evicting your tenants or raising your rents, uh, you know, to cover the escalating costs of maintenance and uh, utilities and uh, all uh, taxes and things like that. So there's a lot of variables that you have to consider uh, when you are investing uh, in uh, real estate in the U.S. Because, you know, one of the things that's also going to happen when the U.S. economy collapses is the supply of rental uh, units is going to increase dramatically. How is that going to happen? Well, a lot of people are going to have roommates, right? People are not going to have their own apartment. They're going to share it with somebody. So now if you are trying to rent out apartments, you, you're competing with all the other people who, who are in apartments who are looking for roommates, right? A lot of people who have houses will start renting out spare rooms. They might rent out the attic, the basement, you know, a kid's room. Uh, you can end up having two or three families occupying the same housing unit. That's what happens as an economy collapses. Uh, people economize on their housing. One of the reasons that happens is because food gets a lot more expensive. You got to eat or you're going to die. So if the price of food goes way up, and let's say, I don't know these numbers, I'm just making these numbers up, but let's say the typical American right now is spending 40% of his income on rent and 5% of his income on food, right? Let's say the the dollar collapses and food goes from 5% of your income to 20% of your income, right? Well, you know, 
you may have to cut housing back from 40% to 20% just to make ends meet, right? Because you probably can't cut out the other expenditures. So how do you do that? You know, it's again, roommates, you know, stuff like that. So people are going to have to adjust because you have, there's, you know, you, there's certain expenses that you can't avoid. Uh, and so, but you can do something about your rental expense by adjusting your housing needs. And that's what's going to happen. Okay, this is from Decia uh, Themis. Is it more reasonable to generate treasuries like the U.S. does instead of just printing bills like Venezuela? Well, it's not reasonable because what happens is it's the government that uh, creates a treasury. Because in the United States, you know, there's a central bank. And so the government doesn't directly print money. So the only way new money comes into existence is through government debt. So what happens is the government spends money that it doesn't have and it issues a bond. And then the Federal Reserve buys that bond and credits the government's account with the money that it creates out of thin air. So all of our money is created as a function of government debt. Right now, of course, the Federal Reserve owns that bond that and now the government has to pay interest to the Federal Reserve, which most of that money gets paid back to the government from the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve only keeps a part of it. Uh, but no, it, I mean, it, it is a roundabout way of the government printing money. I mean, it's supposed to be a little bit of a buffer uh, between, you know, the government and the printing press. But unfortunately, the Federal Reserve, you know, is not doing its job. And it pretty, pretty much is doing the government's bidding. Uh, and so it's almost as bad as if Congress had the printing press directly, just not quite. Next question is from Travis. If rates are being cut, why is oil and oil stocks not rallying? Well, oil, see, a lot of people are still looking at a global slowdown, a global recession. And so they're seeing a reduction in the demand for oil. I don't see that. I'm buying oil stocks. I think that uh, demand is going to go up because I think the dollar is going to crash uh, with you know, more, you know, QE and, uh, and 0% rates. So I think people who are betting that global oil demand goes down because of a weak economy, I think they're wrong. But you can see gold and gold stocks are already rising. And, and that's where silver is now breaking out because silver was under pressure as an industrial metal because people were worried about a global slowdown and that's why silver was going down. But people are going to realize, remember that silver is also a precious metal. It's a monetary metal and it's going to follow gold higher and eventually it's going to lead gold higher which is why I think people should be buying silver now. So I'm more optimistic in the short run on gold and silver than on oil. But I do think that oil prices are headed higher. So I think the people that think oil is going to come crashing down, I think they're wrong. And I think if in the short run oil does go much lower, uh, then it's a buy. Uh, Let me see. Ryan Thompson. Should I purchase a home now, assuming big inflation, or wait, save gold, for a big down payment. Yeah, I would wait. I don't see a rush to buy. If you have a place that you rent and you're fine with that, I just don't think real estate is going to be uh, the big winner. Uh, I think real estate is overpriced, you know, already. Uh, And I think there's going to be a lot of real estate on the market. I think a lot of retired people in particular, you know, when they can't afford to air condition their house or heat their house, when they're spending all their money on food, they have to get rid of their house for whatever they can. 
you know, and ultimately it doesn't even matter what the replacement cost is. I mean, if you can't afford to live in the house and you have to sell it, you're going to take whatever you can get. And there's not going to be a lot of people that actually have real money to buy anything. So you're going to have lots of sellers. It's going to be a buyer's market. You know, a lot of the buyers are going to be foreigners coming in and picking up these bargains because Americans will be too broke. Uh, but, you know, you, if you want to be in a position of foreigners, you know, one of the things I've been telling people is, you know, a lot of people have taken vacations to poor countries, right? You go to a poor country where the standard of living is much lower than it is here and everything is real cheap. You know, the local goods and services are, are cheap. And, you, you know, even if you're middle class, you can feel like a big shot in a poor country. Well, the good news is pretty soon Americans won't have to take a vacation to be in a poor country because you're going to be living in a poor country. But if you have the wealth of the foreigners, if you have your money in foreign assets and gold and things like that, well, then, you, you know, you can buy all the stuff cheap, right? Which is going to happen. Let's see. People don't understand gold like you, says Apollo. Does this affect your deflation theory? Uh, well, look, the fact that a lot of people don't understand gold doesn't change my perception. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't get it. I mean, particularly a lot of the people who are, who are buying Bitcoin because they think it's digital gold. You know, they keep accusing me of not understanding Bitcoin. I understand it perfectly. They don't understand gold and they don't understand the difference. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people who don't understand it now, they will eventually. But it, it'd be I'm trying to help people understand it now while they can still do something about it. Um, when the dollar fails, what do you anticipate its replacement being? Would governments finally wake up and back currencies with real assets? Absolutely. Uh, we are going back to a gold standard. I mean, gold standard is the norm, right? Gold as money is the norm in human history. What we have lived through recently is abnormal. We are living in a period of time that is not normal. And we are going to revert to the mean, right? We are going to go back on a gold standard. Uh, you know, even Richard Nixon, when he took us off the gold standard in 1971, he said it was temporary. He was right. You know, it's, it's been a lot more temporary than he probably thought. It's been 50 years almost, right? It'll be 50 years in two years. Um, but uh, we will go back on a gold standard. Will the central banks be able to print enough to offset the deflationary forces? Of course they will. That's the one thing I'm sure they'll be able to do. They will print more than enough money to offset deflation. You better believe it. That's why the guys betting on deflation are wrong. They are underestimating how much money central bankers can print. Right? Zimbabwe did a good job of, uh, you know, look at what's going on more recently in um, Venezuela. Right? They, they, they've managed to resist deflation in Venezuela. Right? It's the easiest thing to do is overcome deflation. Which of your mutual funds would you recommend for someone who is young, has a few thousand in both gold and silver stocks and physical through gold money, but wants exposure to foreign stocks? Yeah, you know, you could buy my international value fund or my international dividend payers fund. You know, if you have a small amount of money to invest, you can go directly to my website, europacificfunds.com. And you can buy, the minimums are 2,500 bucks to get started. So go to that website, you know, read the prospectuses, consider all the risk factors, right? Read all, you know, and uh, you can just go and, you know, and, and, and make an investment. And once you have, you know, once you're in the fund, 
You can also sign up for periodic small investments. You can continue to uh, build up your, your account. So the website is EuroPacificFunds.com. Where do you see rent prices for apartments? They're going up, but not in terms of gold, but they'll be going up in terms of uh, paper money. You know, I mean, you know, I guess of inflation. And, you know, there's also going to be a lack of supply, too, in some respects, because some landlords might decide not to rent. But eventually the supply will come up again, as I said, when people start renting out their spare rooms and stuff like that. Um, So in real terms, rents are going to fall. I mean, rents are going to collapse in terms of gold. Uh, But if there's enough inflation, the price of everything goes up, right? It's just all relative. Uh, The problem is, though, most prices will go up faster than most people's wages because wages are just a price, right? Wages are the price that you pay for labor. So when employers buy labor, the price is the wage, right? It's just a price. And wages are going to go up too, right? But I just think wages are going to go up more slowly than other prices, which is particularly problematic if your income is going up more slowly than your cost of living. Where is the best place to store physical gold? You should store some, you know, where you live. Just keep it nice and safe and don't tell anybody where it is. But you should also store it in vaults around the world. That's why gold money lets you choose. You can have some in Singapore. You can have some in Dubai. You can have some in Hong Kong. You can have some in Toronto. You can have some in Australia. Take your pick. Spread it around. You know, spread your jurisdiction. Shift Gold does that too. We let you have some gold in Singapore. We put it in Switzerland for you. You know, put it in, put it around the world, you know. Um, it's good to diversify just in case. You never know. Bob Zilla, who owns all the excessive debt? Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of it is owned by central banks. A lot of it is owned by pension funds, insurance companies. Obviously, these are big losses when it defaults, which means if you have an insurance policy, it may not pay off if you need it, right? Uh, if you got an annuity, it may not be worth anything. I mean, it's like this is unfortunate. A lot of these paper assets are worthless because the uh, borrower can't repay, at least not in real money, right? When you borrow more money than you can repay, you can't repay. So there's going to be a default one way or another, either honestly by just defaulting or dishonestly by printing money. But either way, the lender is going to get screwed because he's not going to get paid back purchasing power. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these assets are going to get wiped out. I mean, again, this is a disaster uh, for the economy. And it's certainly going to be a disaster for a lot of people who are depending on those assets, who think that they've got an income stream, who have been promised benefits from the government. Social Security, a pension, Medicare, right? The value of all that stuff gets wiped out. But, you know, all the real assets, all the physical real estate is still here. All the physical, you know, the plant and equipment, the companies, right? All the used cars and used boats and used planes, all that stuff is here. And the question is, who's going to own it? See, a lot of this stuff is going to change hands. See, a lot of that stuff is going to come into my hands, right? A lot of the people who own this stuff aren't going to be able to afford it anymore. And I'll be able to buy it. See, people who own a lot of gold and these right assets, we're going to be able to outbid other people who just own a bunch of fiat, who need to sell their stuff just to, you know, to put food on the table. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, the real physical stuff's not going away. The paper wealth wipes out. 
Now I know there's a bunch of people thinking, yeah, I'm sitting, I'm fat, I'm sitting on a bunch of Bitcoin. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a billionaire with all these Bitcoin. Yeah, you're just gonna have another asset that nobody wants, right? So don't think that you're gonna escape all this because you got Bitcoin. Oh, I got a question. I got a hundred dollar question. Wait, no, that's not a hundred dollars. Is that or is that Mexican pesos? I don't know. MX. Maybe it's Mexican pesos. So it's not that much. I don't know. But maybe Miguel uh, Ferragano. Deflation case. I do think so. Big debt, aging society, less commerce. So gains in wages bid themselves down. The Japanese experience. No, again, I explain this. We, we don't have the, uh, the economy that Japan has. We don't have the high savings. Uh, we're not a creditor nation. We don't have as much rope to hang ourselves as Japan. Japan started with a much longer, longer rope. We got a short rope. We're not going to have, uh, in fact, whatever we had, we've already had, right? Whatever deflation we were going to have is already in the rearview mirror. Uh, you know, we're, it's it, it, the only thing that's standing between us now and runaway inflation is perception. People think that the Fed's got this under control. They think that the, the, the dollar is the cleanest shirt, dirty shirt in the hamper. When they when they get a real riff whiff of just how dirty our shirt is, I mean that's it. So no, it's we're not going to have. I went over that. So if you didn't hear it, well, you know, go rewind it. I, I talked a lot about Japan earlier in this uh, live stream. Um. This is from Dijma. I don't know. Wait, wait. Something just happened. The question just moved. Where did it go? Um, trying to scroll around to find this one. Here it is. What are your thoughts on emerging markets? I like them. I have an emerging market fund. One of my mutual funds is an emerging market fund. EP, uh, EPASX, emerging market fund. Look, I think... As the U.S. submerges, a lot of these emerging markets are going to emerge because a lot of these countries have a lot of dollar debt. That debt gets wiped out in deflation. That's a huge win, right? That's going to be a giant relief for their economies. Uh, Capital is going to start flowing into them as their currencies rise. As their currencies rise, their interest rates could fall. Emerging markets have higher rates right now. They have higher inflation. Inflation comes down because their currency strengthens. So, yeah, you want to be in these emerging markets. Look at these charts. They're as cheap as they've been in 100 years relative to the U.S. stock market. So, yeah, I like emerging markets. Uh, I'm investing there. People should be buying it. See, people think I'm always bearish. Oh, Peter's not buying stocks. I'm buying plenty of stocks. I'm just not buying the same stocks that everybody else is buying. Sure, I would have made more money on paper had I just bought U.S. stocks. Now, I've had, I've got U.S. stocks. You know, I was just uh, talking to a client today, bought this stock from me, uh, Jollibee Foods in the Philippines. Guy put, I mean, that guy, guy opened up his account in, um, in uh, 2001 and bought this stock. He put $1,300 in it. It's worth 25 grand. And one little, you know, and it, plus he's got dividends on it. It's up 20-fold in less than 20 years. It's a great stock. Uh, and, you know, I mean, so there are stocks that have done better than U.S. stocks. Of course, I've had people who have bought stocks that have gone to zero. They've gone bankrupt, right? So it's not like they all go up 20 times. In fact, it's rare that one did that well. But, I mean, we have them. Uh, but overall, you know, people who have just been buying foreign stocks, they get their share of, you know, 10 baggers, and they get a few that go to zero, and but then they get a bunch of them that average out. But, you know, there's been plenty of U.S. stocks, too, that have gone up, I mean, 10 times. I mean, 20 times. They're there, right? Not all of them. 
Uh, but on average, the U.S. stocks have done better than, than foreign stocks. But um, that's going to change. Again, as I said earlier, I'm in it for the long run. I'm in it to win it. I, I don't, they don't give out you know, a prize. You know, who, it doesn't matter who wins the first half of a football game. It's who wins the, the, the end of the game. And if you're, if you're ahead of me because you've been in U.S. stocks, right, all right, you're, 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 you're leading at the half. But uh, you guys are going to choke, uh, you know, like the, uh, uh, what is it, the Atlanta Falcons. or who, who, Was that who the Patriots beat a few Super Bowls ago? I think it was, right? Uh, didn't matter that the Patriots lost the first half, right? They won that game. I'm going to win this game. I'm confident of that. And I think emerging markets are going to help me win. Gold stocks are going to help me win. You know, they're, they're, they're not winning yet, but I'm, 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 I'm 100% confident that they will. Um, let me see. Dario from Texas. When the dollar collapses, will the euro follow? And what about real estate in the eurozone? Look, the euro is a very flawed currency. Right? No question about that. I mean, I said that from the beginning, that it wasn't going to work. Um, it, and it's a political problem because all these, it's a moral hazard. All these countries want to run big deficits. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, so the, 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 it can't work because of the nature of democracy. Uh, it, you know, it, but the question is, how long before it falls apart? I don't know. But I do think that the demise of the dollar could be good for the euro. In the short run. Uh, but in the long run, again, you know, I, I, I underweight the euro. I don't, you know, we don't have a lot of euro. I mean, I have a short-term bond fund, too. We don't have a lot of euros in there. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the euro. I, I happen to think that the dollar is going to lose more value over the next 5, 10 years than the euro. I think so. I think the euro will rise against the dollar. But I think the euro will also fall against other currencies. And it will certainly fall against gold. It just won't fall as much as the dollar. Okay, uh, Poment, payment, or I don't know what this guy's name is here. Compare the 10-year-old different countries. U.S. was the highest of the big before the last two recessions. Why do you think the 10-year spreads are a risk premium? Look, the U.S. has a higher interest rate than a lot of other big economies nominally. But we actually have a higher rate of inflation than a lot of these countries. So... Real rates are actually uh, pretty low in the U.S., much lower than the nominal rates. And that's based on the government statistics, which, as I said earlier in this live stream, are BS. So rates are actually quite a bit more negative than those statistics would would suggest. Uh, Let's see. John W., if the Fed really wanted inflation, they would allow individual accounts where they pay you interest directly I don't understand that question I mean they do want inflation that's why they're creating it that's why they keep setting the bar higher you know first it was a 2% ceiling then it became a 2% target now it's a 2% floor you know they want inflation they need inflation right because you know they want to keep all the balls in the air they want to keep the bubbles from deflating they want to keep the government spending. They don't want the government to have to cut spending or default. So they need inflation. 
So they keep on coming up with more justification for higher inflation. And they try to claim that the threat is not enough inflation, that inflation is too low. That is BS. Inflation can never be too low. The lower, the better. In fact, falling prices are better than stable prices. This is BS. The central banks have been feeding it to us since they were created. Let's see, what happens to colleges during the next crash? Yes, I do think that, uh, you know, college tuitions will come crashing down, uh, assuming that the Democrats don't come in and make college free. If they make it free, of course, it will be very expensive. There's nothing that's more expensive than something the government provides for free. Uh, but look, this is another bubble in college degrees. You know, kids go to college that shouldn't be going to college. And then when they go there, they waste their money on majors that have absolutely no value once they, uh, once they graduate. So the whole thing is a giant government-generated scam. You know, now you have all these liberal politicians complaining about all the student debt. Yes, why do you think they have all this student debt? Because the government made the credit available. And when people, when conservatives were against this student debt and these government loan programs, the liberals said, oh, you're mean, you're terrible, you don't care, you're heartless. They weren't heartless, they were smart. It's the liberals who were brainless. They, they were too stupid to understand what they were doing. And they created the problem that they're now complaining about, and they want to solve it with even more government programs because they're still stupid. They haven't learned anything from their mistakes. They're just as stupid now as they were before they made them. Let's see. What about government investment in R&D? Look, the government doesn't invest. They spend, right? The private sector invests. The government spends, right? They just take money and they spend it, right? They, because in order to make an investment, you have to be motivated by the desire to make a profit. The government doesn't try to make a profit. They don't give a damn. They just spend money. And they'll spend it wastefully. Right? When people are investing their own money, they're going to calculate. They're going to try to invest in something that's going to work. Working means it produces a profit. And when you produce a profit, that means you added value. You created something that people actually wanted to buy, and it costs you less to produce it than willing to, people were willing to pay for it. See, what happens with government is it costs a fortune to make something, and they can never sell it at a profit because nobody desires it. Right, The value that they create is less than the cost of creating it. So that's why this government destroys wealth. They don't create wealth. They, they take resources and combine them in a way that destroys value. The private sector takes resources and combines them in a way that creates value. So the government doesn't invest, it spends. They like to pretend they invest because it sounds good, but it's all BS. They're just trying to get your money. So if you want investment, you have to keep money out of the hands of the government. The less money the government takes, the more money the private sector can invest and the higher the standard of living that everybody can enjoy. And the people who benefit the most from investment are the poor and the middle class, not the rich. All right, next question. If the Dems win in 2020, as you predict, are you planning to eliminate student debt? Is it worth paying more than a minimum? No. I mean, look, if you are going to college right now, you are an idiot if you pay. Borrow as much money as you can. Even if you can afford to pay, take out the loans anyway, right? Because read the writing on the wall. The, the, either, the student loans are either going to get forgiven or inflated away. But the students are not going to repay. 
So don't be an idiot and actually pay for something that you're going to get for free. This is part of the moral hazard that they're creating. But, you know, do not. You'll feel like an idiot if all your friends borrowed money and their loans are forgiven and you were the sucker that actually paid for your college. So take that money that you would have spent on college and invest it with me or buy some silver or go whatever and borrow all that money at, you know, because the interest rates don't even start until after you graduate. And, you know, you'll, you'll probably get bailed out. Worst case scenario, just pay off the loans. You know, you, I think you'll make a ton of money on the investments. And I think, you know, you'll be able to pay off the loans for a fraction of what you originally invested. So that's my advice there. Of course, you need to, re- you know, you need to consider whether you should even go to college in the first place. That's a whole uh, another conversation. Maybe we'll do another uh, uh, live stream on uh, college and whether it's worth it. And if you haven't seen my YouTube video, as long as you're on YouTube, go put in the search Peter Schiff College and check out the video I shot in New Orleans a few years ago. Uh, it's a very funny video. Funny and sad at the same time, but check it out. Um, let me see. Michael Lynn, case for deflation. In case of massive job losses and high unemployment, what could prevent property prices collapsing if no one can afford them or prevent cities from following the way of Detroit? Yeah, look, I mean, inflation, if inflation is high enough, prices won't collapse. But you're right. Look, there's going to be certain properties that are going to implode. I mean, there are going to be landlords, especially in places where there is rent control. Landlords are just going to walk away from these properties. They're just going to uh, be dilapidated. Uh, yeah, I mean, certain parts of the country, um, the real estate, you know, the, the prices, you know, could go way down. But uh, the quality of anyone living there, right? I mean, it's not, you know, you're not going to be getting a bargain if you don't have, uh, you know, maintenance. And if, you know, there's, there's no one taking care of the property. But uh, yeah, the housing stock, you know, I mean, it, it collapses, you know. And again, you know, people are going to be renting out rooms. A lot of houses are going to be turned into bed and breakfasts. And a lot of the people staying there are going to be foreigners, right? There's going to be a lot of Europeans or maybe, maybe Asians, maybe not so many Europeans, maybe a lot of Asians, you know, young Asian kids are going to come backpacking around uh, the U.S. Uh, with their appreciated foreign currencies, you know, uh, traveling around, just like American kids used to do in the 1950s and 1960s. American kids would go to Europe and, you know, we had plenty of money. Europe on $5 a day and it was great and everything was cheap. Same thing's going to happen with a bunch of Chinese kids or Japanese kids or, you know, who knows. They're going to come. You're going to see a lot of kids just backpacking around because uh, everything's going to be cheap here for them. Not, not, not for Americans. It'll be expensive. But for foreigners, it'll be cheap. Now, of course, if you get your money out of dollars now, then it'll be cheap with, for you, too. Um, let's see. What this is from. I don't know who this guy is. Can't read it. What? you can say about resource-based economies. Yeah, look, I think the resource-based economies are going to see a bit of a boom in the economy. Uh, you know, if you have a resurgent in commodity prices, gold price in particular, uh, that's going to benefit countries like Australia, Canada, even though they have some problems. Uh, this is going to help them overcome a lot of those problems. Peter, if the Fed has managed to prop prop it up for another 10 years. What makes you so sure they can't do it for another 10? I've already said that. You know, I think it's unlikely that they can keep it going for another 10 years. I think what's already happening now shows me that we're getting close to the end of this. But is it possible? Of course, look, 
And if it goes another 10 years, that doesn't make me wrong. Because if it goes another 10 years, you know, heaven help us. Because remember, the more we delay it, the worse it's going to be. That's all we do when we kick the can down the road, right? We just make it worse. Had the collapse happened five years ago, it would have been bad, but not nearly as bad as it's going to be if it happens next year. So five years ago would have been much better. And if it doesn't happen next year, if it happens in five years, it'll be that much worse. The longer it takes, the worse it's going to be. And the more important it is to be prepared. And the more money that you're going to make if you're prepared properly. So if I have to wait even longer to get paid, it's going to be an even bigger payday. Of course, you know, I don't, I'm not going to live forever, right? So, I mean, it could be my kids that end up, uh, you know, getting paid. Uh, but I don't think it's going to take that long. I mean, I'm 56. Uh, so, you know, but, I, you know, my father, you know, my father, Erwin Schiff, who I mentioned earlier when I talked about his book, uh, The King of Malls, look, my dad was worried about stuff in the 1970s. And yeah, we kicked the can down the road a lot longer than my dad thought. If you read his first book, The Biggest Con, all the problems he pointed out, they're still here. They're bigger than ever, but we haven't had a complete economic collapse yet. A lot Now, a lot of things happened along the way that my dad couldn't have uh, forecast that enabled us to kick that can down the road. Uh, but we certainly kicked it down the road past my father's lifetime. I don't think that's going to happen with me. Is it possible? Of course. Uh, but I, 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 I don't think it's probable. All right, this guy is commenting on my polo shirt. Yep, this one is blue. The last time I wore a red one, it made, I don't know if that made my face look even redder than it does now. You know, I, some guy decided to make a video of all my bloopers from my last podcast, and he made fun of my face because he actually reddened it. He actually took my face that was red and like reddened it even more, so I look like like a like a like a like a crayon or something, uh, you know. But as I said, my skin is not nearly as red as it appears on this camera for some reasons. I don't know what it is about it. Um, in an inflationary world, are tips a good investment? Tips are Treasury inflation protected securities, and my answer is no. Because tips are linked to the CPI. Well, the CPI is understating inflation, right? So that's like hiring the fox to guard your hen house. The government is not going to sell you an inflation-protected security. The government is what is causing the inflation that you need protection from. So you are not going to, if you are a hen, you are not going to hire the fox to protect you. The fox is going to eat you. So if you want inflation protection, get gold, right? That's, that's, what, that's what it's for. So forget about these tips. They will not work. Uh, any Peter Schiff porn out there? Not that I know of. Hopefully there is no Peter Schiff porn out there. But if there is any Peter Schiff porn, my name would be Peter Stiff. We all know that already. Um... Unknown. I see a big deflationary case in the event that the population decreases. No. And, you know, I just read this article that American fertility rates are at an all-time record low. Suicide rates are at a record high. So, you know, read into that what you will. It doesn't seem like a good sign to me. But no, inflation is about money. It doesn't matter. Uh, It's a monetary phenomenon. Uh, As I said earlier in this, uh, the word inflation literally means to expand the money supply. So it's got nothing to do with population, 
Uh, they are going to be cranking money off the printing presses and prices are going way up. What if the Fed can't purchase enough U.S. assets to actually match the incredible amount of dollars? Uh, no, that they'll never run out of assets because they, they just buy the bonds. It's because the Fed's going to keep spending. And I think they're going to start buying treasuries initially. Then they're going to buy muni bonds. They're probably going to end up buying state bonds, you know, corporate bonds. They may even eventually start buying stocks. Who the hell knows what the Fed is going to buy? Uh, but, you know, they're going to be printing money. Um, and, you know, it, it, until the dollar collapses and then they can't do it anymore. Or if they, you know, you know, find religion and decide that they're going to do the right thing. Uh, but they haven't done that yet. And, you know, so, you know, again, I don't want to bet that they will. I'd rather bet that they keep making the same mistakes. But I can hope they eventually do the right thing. And, you know, that would be then it won't be as bad. It's still going to be horrific, even if they do the right thing. It's just going to be even worse if they keep doing the wrong thing. I actually got to get more water. So I got to go back. I've got this, um, you know, um, cooler over there on the other side of the room. And so I got to get more water. Hold on. Get this mic back up here. Not sure how much longer I can keep this going. I guess I can probably hang out until midnight, which is in about another 45 minutes. That's about all I got before I lose my voice. Let's see. What are your, let me see. Is Canada the next Venezuela? I don't think so. Answer to that question. What are your thoughts on low production silver and gold miners? Low cost production. Well, you know, the biggest winners are going to be the high cost producers, right? They're the ones that have the most to gain from a rise in the price of gold and silver. Obviously, if you have a low cost of production, you are a safer investment in case I'm wrong and the price of gold doesn't rise or goes down. But if I'm right, you'll actually get a bigger gain from the higher cost producers. Um, with interest rates so low, would you advise that we go into debt to buy hard assets? No, I, you know, look, there's obviously a risk of just going into debt, especially if my timing is wrong or maybe the deflation guys are actually right. I don't think they are. But if we have deflation first and then inflation, if you've levered up to buy assets, you could go broke and lose everything. And then you won't have those assets uh, when we have the inflation. So the only kind of debt that kind of makes sense is mortgage debt where you can get a long-term fixed rate. Uh, so that, that kind of debt is okay to have. You know, if you're not going to sell your house, at least get a mortgage uh, against it. Um, but make sure you have the ability to service the mortgage. Uh, but, you know, I don't tell people to go out and, and borrow money uh, because there's there's the timing is that's, you know, I, I, I'm i 100 percent convinced that 
my strategy will work. So I think that I'm dealing everybody a winning hand. I just don't want them to be bluffed out. I don't want circumstances to cause you to fold a winning hand before showdown, right? I mean, I, I, want, I want to make sure that my clients are in the game to win, right? I mean, you, you, know, you can end up, if you don't have the staying power, you can end up throwing away a winning hand. And so that, that, that's what can happen if you lever up too much. Um, are REITs a protection against inflation? Depends on the REIT. You know, a lot of U.S. REITs are also levered up and they have, you know, I mean, and they have all kinds of products in there. I mean, a lot of these things could blow up. And I don't like U.S. real estate. I told you that. But if you want to buy property in Singapore, you know, or New Zealand, commercial property there or, you know, other parts of the world, you know, China, India. I mean, I own REIT personally. I own property trusts in Singapore, in India, in Hong Kong, in New Zealand, uh, uh, you know, in, in Scandinavia. I, you know, I don't own com- residential, I own commercial property. And a lot of these REITs um, pay good dividends in currencies that I think are going up. Some of these REITs we own in our managed accounts. Some of these REITs we just buy for clients in brokerage accounts. But yeah, I think they will be uh, good hedges, ultimately. Is GLD, which is an ETF, is it a safe way to own gold? Probably. Is it the safest way? No, but it's probably reasonably safe. Uh, But when you own an ETF, you know, you own shares of an entity that owns gold. You don't own the gold directly, but you own shares of 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 an entity that does own the gold. Uh, But you do have the counterparty risk. I mean, what if the gold, what if they don't have all the gold they claim they have? What if the auditors are missing something, right? So there's always a degree of risk. How high that degree is, I don't know. Um, But I personally would rather just cut out that little bit of unknown risk and just own the gold yourself. Take physical delivery, or instead of buying an ETF, if you don't want to store it, just buy, buy gold at gold money. Because the storage fees that gold money charges are lower than the storage fees that are built into any ETF. So it's actually cheaper to buy the gold at gold money than to buy it at an ETF. And the difference is you can't get your gold. I mean, some ETFs, if you have a big enough uh, investment, you can take delivery. Uh, At gold money, you can take delivery of as small as 10 grams of gold. They'll ship it to you. Um, So you you can get delivery when you want it. It's your own gold in your own vault. It's a Brinks vault. Uh, so it's cheaper than an ETF. And, you know, if I own shares of an ETF, I can't give my shares to somebody. I'd have to sell them and they could buy them on an exchange and pay a bunch of commissions. But if I wanted to transfer some of my gold to another individual and they could be halfway around the world. I mean, I, I have a gold money account. And if somebody in Australia has a gold money account, I can send them 50 bucks worth of gold, 100 bucks worth of gold, uh, or they can send it to me. And it's instant and it's free. Gold money doesn't charge anything for that service. You could just send it uh, and now it belongs to somebody else. And so you can't do that with an an ETF. So it it, it is a much better way to own gold. And it's not a third party. It's your gold. You are the owner, right? And it's in a Brinks vault. And when you transfer the gold to somebody else, you're transferring ownership to that other person. The gold doesn't go anywhere, stays in the vault. But who owns it changes hands. So, I mean, that's why gold is a great medium of exchange. And all this crap about cryptocurrencies, gold can do everything that these cryptocurrencies 
pretend to do but can't, and better and cheaper. Yes, you have to trust a third party, but big deal. I'd rather trust a known third party than an unknown miner or a bunch of whales. I have no idea what they're doing. You know, people have been trusting third parties in capitalism since it was first formed. Competition keeps third parties honest, right? So do your homework and do business with people that you trust. And meanwhile, they're, they're, those accounts are insured, insured through Lloyds of London. Do you trust Lloyds of London? How long have they been insuring, you know, products? Brinks has never lost an ounce of gold uh, in the 150 years they've been around, and Lloyds has never defaulted on an obligation. Those are free market institutions, and I trust them because they have reputations that they want to preserve, and those reputations are valuable, and they have to, you know, they have to uh, constantly uh, live up to those. Remember, Warren Buffett says, right, it takes, it takes a, a decades or a lifetime to build a reputation. You can lose it in minutes. Um, Matt, why is physical silver better than SLV? Same thing. SLV is an ETF. Same thing, right? You don't directly own it. Buy your silver at gold money. It's your silver. It's actually cheaper to store than storing it through an ETF. You don't pay the fees. The ETF pays the fees. As an owner of the ETF, those fees eat into your return, right? The gold money fees are lower than the ETF fees, and it's your gold or your silver, and you can take delivery whenever you want. And that's goldmoney.com is the website, right? Um, do you think the Fed will buy equities to stop stock market from crashing? Maybe. They might do it. I wouldn't put it past them. But they got to create the money out of thin air to do it. So they're destroying the value of the dollar. So they can stop the dollar price of stocks from going down. But they can't stop the price of stocks from going down in terms of gold. And I still think the Dow is going to go down to one ounce of gold. And what is it right now? I'll do it. I'll, I'll calculate it, right? Because the Dow is about 20, what, 27,000? And gold's about 1425, right? So if I take uh, 27,000 divided by 1425, the Dow's worth about 19 ounces of gold. That's high, historically. The Dow was down at one ounce of gold in 1932. It was down at one ounce of gold in 1982 or 81. I bet the Dow will be worth one ounce of gold again someday. Now, where will that be? Will the Dow crash down to 10,000 and gold be at 10,000? Maybe. But maybe it will be Dow 30,000 and gold 30,000. I don't know. But I do think that at some point in time, uh, gold and the Dow will meet again. They met up in the 1930s. They met up in the 1980s. Who's to say they won't meet up again? And of course, gold, the, the ratio was 20 to 1 in 1929. Same ratio we have now. It took 20 ounces of gold to buy the Dow in 1929. In 1966, the ratio was about 20 to 1. And then 1982 it was 1 to 1. You know, the highest it ever was was 2000. It was like 40 to 1, over 40 to 1. That stock market bubble, you know, we're not even close to that level, right? Uh, but we're near that 20 to 1 level, which is where we peaked out in 1929 and 1966. And then we went back to 1 to 1. Uh, but even if we don't make it all the way to 1 to 1, what if we just go to 2 to 1? That's a huge deal, right? Going to 2 to 1. That's a 90% decline from 20 to 1 to 2 to 1, right? Okay, Adam Marcus Henry, $50 question. 
If we actually enter deflation first and then stagflation, what does that mean as an owner of commercial real estate? Look, commercial real estate's going down. I mean, it's a bubble, right? It's all commercial real estate is like bonds, right? It's all propped up from the low cap rates from uh, low interest rates. Uh, I think U.S. commercial real estate's in trouble. I think uh, office uh, buildings are in trouble, shopping centers in, in particular, uh, you know, strip malls, stuff like that. A lot of this stuff is going, no one's going to want, you know, I mean, these retailers. America's, you know, days of shopping are coming to an end. You know, we have like maybe 10 times the retail space as other countries. So, I mean, we have, we're oversupplied. It, this is all going to come crashing down. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think commercial real estate in the U.S. is in for a very, very rocky road. Um, you know, let's see. Michael, Mark Michael, Lehman Brothers was trusted for 150 years, and look what happened to them. Yes, but you know what? Um, you know, Lehman Brothers did some dumb things in the housing bubble, things that I spotted, right? Things that I recognized. But of course, these institutions were corrupted by government. Had it not been for the Fed and all the cheap money, they would not have lured Lehman Brothers into making those mistakes or Bear Stearns, right? So that is the problem. The government led these entities down the primrose path. Now, I'm not, of course, they were more than happy to drink the government alcohol they were partying and having a great time, right? So I'm not, you know, forgiving them. Um, but, you know, you know, unfortunately, nobody that had money at Lehman Brothers lost it. I mean, none of their, you know, their counterparties lost because the government bailed everybody out, right? I mean, although Le- if you own stock in Lehman Brothers, you know, you lost your money. But nobody that had an account with Lehman Brothers lost any money. If you had a brokerage account there, you didn't lose any money. Um, and, and, you know, so the government is still bailing people out. I mean, I don't like all these moral hazards, uh, because I think if people had to worry, I think, you know, more, fewer, I think, I don't think these entities would have been as careless and reckless if their customers had to worry more about the safety of their investments. Everybody, uh, was complacent because they figured the government had everybody covered. And so the government created the moral hazard that created the environment that allowed for all this risk taking that ultimately sunk. Uh, companies like Lehman Brothers. But yeah, I mean, not all companies uh, go bankrupt. That's why, you know, that's why you don't keep all your eggs in one basket, right? You don't keep all your gold with the same third party just in case one of them fails, right? right? So you diversify. Everybody's not going to fail. Every, every, every company you trust is not going to go bankrupt, right? So just, you know, but the thing is, putting your trust in the government, I mean, that, the government's always going to screw you. I'd rather put my trust in a, in a private party that needs my business and has to win my business in a competitive market based on a government that can just take stuff by force. I got no choice. The government's, you know, take it or leave it. I'm going to either you do this or I'm throwing you in jail. No private business can do that. They have to earn my business every day. They have to win it by giving me the best service at the lowest possible price. The government doesn't have to give any good service. Right? The government just gives lousy service because you're stuck. They got a monopoly. They got a monopoly on the service and they got a monopoly on force. All right, let's see. Someone says Brinks and Lloyds of London could do dumb things. Of course, everybody could do dumb things, right? But, you know, fortunately, you know, the dumb things will not likely not sink the company. Um, 
Will the Fed get into negative interest rates? Real interest rates, 100%, negative for sure. Nominal rates, will they actually take the Fed funds rate to a negative number? Will the U.S. government actually be selling bonds with a negative coupon? I don't think so. They may try, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, what do you think about junior mining companies? Well, the right ones, yeah. I mean, I'm leaving that to Adrian Day. We have a lot of junior mining companies in the portfolio at Euro Pacific Gold Fund, EPGFX. If you want exposure to the juniors, don't do it yourself. It's not e- I don't do it myself. I hired an expert to run my fund for me, and you should hire the same expert by investing in my fund, which you can do directly at europacificfunds.com uh, or through one of my brokers. And again, you know, for the regulators, the funds are risky. They invest in speculative stocks. You can lose all your money. So don't invest any money you can't afford to lose. And make sure you read the prospectus carefully and consider all the risks before you actually invest any money. Um, Do you think the Fed will buy equities to stop stock market from crashing? Oh, I answered that question. Um, Maybe they will. Do you believe full reserve banking is better than fractional? Look, in a free market, there's always going to be some fractional reserve. I don't like government uh, banking, and I don't like fractional reserve banking uh, with government guarantees. But in a free market where banks have to you know, manage their reputation and the risk of runs, I don't mind uh, private banks deciding uh, how much reserves they want to keep and customers deciding how much reserves uh, they need in a financial institution in which they're entrusting their money. And there should definitely be a difference between demand deposits, which should be fully reserved, and time deposits, right? If I have a checking account where the money can be withdrawn any minute, it should be 100% reserved. But if I, if I have a CD and I buy a CD from a bank and the CD doesn't mature for five years, why does the bank need to keep all that money when I, I'm not going to get it for five years, right? So, you know, banks can manage their reserves and, and, and I, in a free market, it, it works well. Um, what do you think are toxic assets nowadays? MBSs are toxic. Look, there's a lot of bad assets, a lot of bad mortgage assets. There's a lot of bad uh, auto loans out there, student loans, receivables tied to consumer goods. You know, you know, you go to a store and you buy a mattress, no payments, no interest for, you know, two years or three years. A lot of that crap, all that stuff is packaged up and sold off, right? Because the mattress store doesn't wait. When, when you go to a store and they say, hey, buy this today and you don't have to pay any money for a year. I mean, what do you, do you think the store just waits a year to get your money? No, they, they got to pay their rent. They got to pay their salaries. They take that receivable and they sell it. So somebody bought that receivable, right? There, a lot of this shit is toxic, right? Because a lot of this stuff is going to default because the consumer is not going to have the money. When he loses his job, he can't make those payments. Um, do you think gold will rise or fall in hyperinflation? Rise. I mean, in hyperinflation, gold, gold goes infinite, right? People always tell me, you know, what's, what's the price target? What's, I don't know. There's no ceiling on gold because there's no floor on the dollar. How much is gold worth if the dollar is worthless? Well, gold is worth infinite, infinity. Right? If the dollar is worthless, it doesn't matter how many dollars you have, you can't buy any gold with it, right? So, uh, you know, hyperinflation is the worst case scenario. 
And, of course, that's the best case scenario for gold. Now, I am not hoping for that because that has a lot of uh, implications for the society that I don't want. I do not want hyperinflation by any stretch of the imagination. Is that what I am hoping for? Just because my goal will be even more valuable, I don't want that. I hope we avoid that. I hope we do the right thing before it gets to that point. You know, and if if I have any input into this, if anybody in government you know ends up you know asking you know for my help or what should I do, I you know hopefully I can be involved in helping us avoid that. And if it's not me, hopefully it's somebody who thinks like me, who understands uh, things the way I do. Will the Fed buy Tesla? I don't know. I get if they, I doubt it. If they start buying stocks, I think they'll at least buy, you know, the quality companies. I don't think they'd start with Tesla. Uh, I don't think they'll buy Beyond Meat either or stuff like that. They'll probably buy the premier companies. But of course, once the government starts buying companies, it's like they're nationalizing, right? It's like it's like communist. It's like the government is printing money and then buying up assets. It's like they're nationalizing, right? You don't you don't want the government to start buying up. The productive aspects of the economy, right? That you're just you're just socializing your your means of production. That's the you don't want the Federal Reserve to do that. I mean, other governments that are doing that, it's a mistake. Now, at least what it would be better what governments should be doing, at least buy foreign assets, right? And that's a link. Like a lot of these sovereign wealth funds also do that. They buy stocks in other countries. That's not bad as buying stocks in your own country, right? And the same thing should do with bonds. I mean, if the central bank is going to buy bonds. Don't buy bonds of your own government. Buy bonds of foreign government. So it's an actual asset rather than a liability. But of course, you know, those foreign governments can default. And then what do you got? Hmm. What are your thoughts on the FIRE movement? Financial independence, retire early. Yeah, retiring early is great. Who wants to work, right? You know, but um, a lot of people who retired early, if they retired wrong, if they retired on a stack of dollars, they're going to be back in the workforce. So the key is not just to retire, but to stay retired. A lot of people are not going to be able to stay retired. If they're, if they're working with me, right, they will. If you can get your money out of dollars now and get into the right assets, not only will you secure your retirement, but you'll actually enjoy a greater standard of living in your retirement. When the government imposes price controls, there is scarcity. But when the government holds the price of money artificially low, why isn't there a scarcity of money? There's a scarcity of savings. See, when they hold interest rates artificially low, that's where the scarcity is. You don't have a lot of people saving because there's not a a yield. And you have an excess of debt because when interest rates are artificially low, a lot of people want to borrow because it's cheaper to borrow. So you have an excess of debt and you have a shortage of savings. But since it's savings that drive economic growth and capital investment, you have a shortage of that too. That's why we have huge trade deficits and uh, that's why the real economy is contracting because the Fed is inhibiting legitimate economic growth with its monetary policy. Do my funds use machines to pick stocks? No, we actually uh, use human beings. You know, and that's been out of favor recently. I mean, a lot of people are just buying robotically. They're just indexing and buying the averages. We're not. We're using our brains. Now, over the past, you know, using your brain has been a disadvantage because more people are not using their brain. And so in the short run, stocks are a voting machine. 
but in the long run, they are a weighing machine. And I believe our strategy of being intelligent about the stocks that we're buying and buying undervalued stocks and not chasing overhyped stock, uh, in the long run, we have a winning strategy. I think in the long run, active will beat out passive. Uh, you just have to you know, go through the crazy part uh, to get to the end game. And I think, again, I think we're a lot closer to the passive investment bubble popping, and that will uh, you know, greatly reward the active managers. I'm not the only one doing that. There are other people that are doing the right things for their clients. I, I, you know, I'm not the only uh, broker uh, that is thinking about the long term and, and, and not chasing these fads. Although I am one of the few brokers, I think, in the U.S. that really understands the severity of the problems in the U.S. and is trying to uh, invest abroad rather than domestically. Brianna, do you think the Phillips curve would be this busted, but with low inflation and low unemployment? And does it uh, reaffirm your belief that future stagflation is coming? Look, the, the Phillips curve is always a bunch of BS. If you don't know what that is, it's a Keynesian creation that basically says there is a trade-off between inflation and unemployment, meaning that uh, the more the lower the unemployment rate, the higher the inflation rate. And the higher the unemployment rate, the lower the inflation rate. Um, and they've got it ass backwards. People employed and working productively doesn't cause inflation, right? It causes prices to fall. Because if people are employed and making things, the supply of things goes up. And if the supply of things goes up, the price of things goes down. On the other hand, if a lot of people are unemployed and not making stuff, then there's less stuff. And that puts upward pressure on price. And if you look throughout history, you will find that the highest rates of inflation happen in countries with the highest unemployment. And you will also find that the lowest rates of inflation over time are associated with countries that have the lowest unemployment rates. So it was always bullshit from the beginning. Uh, and the Keynesians should have given that up in the 1970s uh, when all of that shit went out the window. Uh, with stagflation. Uh, but not only did they not learn anything from the 70s, they don't even remember the 70s. They don't even think the 70s can happen again. Well, they can. Look, you know, uh, I, I, I'll, even the 70s fashion, as bad as the fashion was in the 70s, even that came back. Uh, so if 70s fashion can come back, uh, so can the stagflation, except it's going to come back even worse. How and where will stagflation start to appear? It's already appearing. Slower growth and rising consumer prices. It's already here. It's just going to get worse. Do you think there will be a libertarian president in the U.S.? I hope so. Hope so. Maybe he won't be a member of the libertarian party, you know, although that would be nice. But I do hope that we have a libertarian president, except we might have a socialist president first. And so it's going to be a difficult path to get there. Right? We're going to have to get to the freedom through slavery. Uh, and I'll, it may take a long time before we get there. But I hope we get there. Peter, do you, uh, is government confiscating gold? Do you think silver will be safe? I don't expect the U.S. government to confiscate gold. Um, they might, but they'll be confiscating everything. And gold will be the hardest stuff to find. It'll be easier for the government to take your stocks and your bonds uh, and even your real estate. Uh, it'll be easier for the government to take that than to take your gold or your bank deposits. So I think I think gold is one of the safest things because government can't find it. I mean, 
other assets, you know, you have a third party that the government can intimidate. But if you got gold in your own safe, the government doesn't even know you have it, let alone how they're going to get it from you. Um, why is there a large purchase of gold by central banks? Yeah, I mean, they're buying gold. You know, I mean, they're, 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 they're beefing up their reserves. They, they know the dollar's days are numbered. The question is, why hasn't it pushed the price of gold up even more? Well, I mean, it has pushed it up. I mean, gold's at a six-year high. Um, but I do think there have been sellers out there. And, you know, and there may be short sellers out there, too, that are helping to satisfy the demand. But these shorts are going to be in for a lot of trouble. You know, there are a lot of shorts out there that are going to get destroyed in this market. I mean, we are going to explode. I mean, I think the central banks, too, would like to have more gold. They would like to have bought more, but they're trying not to push up the price. They're trying to get more without pushing up the price. But at some point, they're going to give up and they're not going to care about pushing up the price. They're just going to buy it at any price. But before that stampede happens, you need to get in. What are your thoughts on... Oh, wait. Andrew Yang's freedom dividend. Is he nuts? Yes, he is nuts. Uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a you know, Democratic candidate. You know, they talked about the peace dividend a long time ago when we won the Cold War. Uh, but this is, this is all uh, crazy mumbo jumbo. What are your thoughts on Justin Amash? You know, I like Justin. I know Justin. I mean, I'm not a friend of his. I've, I've met him. Uh, he did come to uh, uh, Washington with the Tea Party, you know, and, and he's one of the good guys. And I think it's, you know, I, I, I tweeted about this. You know, when Trump is criticizing Justin Amash, he ought to really step back and think about, you know, when a guy that should be your friend is your enemy, you better start questioning what you are doing. Uh, I don't know that I agree with Justin on the whole uh, impeachment thing. Uh, but I agree with him on a lot of stuff. He's a good guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the president and other members of the Republican Party should uh, be thinking long and hard about why he's not, you know, on their side. And I, I Look, I know a lot of Republicans voted against this terrible budget. The problem is they weren't vocal enough in their criticism of the president. And the fact is that there were so many Republicans who voted with the Democrats uh, to uh, approve this. Every one of those Republicans, uh, you know, in my, my opinion, none of them deserve to be reelected because they're, they're all Democrats. I mean, are they as bad as Democrats? You know, they may even be worse. I mean, rhinos in many ways are worse than the Democrats themselves. Peter Raid, Area 51. That's bogus. What do you think about Harry Brown's permanent portfolio? I, yeah, I mean, look, the permanent portfolio... I mean, look, it has gold in it, it has Swiss francs in it. The only thing I don't like about it is it has U.S. Treasuries in it. So I would, if, you like the, if you want to take the Harry Brown portfolio and just kick out the U.S. Treasuries, probably not a bad portfolio. Uh, but also has U.S. stocks in it. So, I mean, right now, I don't, you know, I mean, it's better than what most people have, but I don't think it's the ideal portfolio to have right now. Again, guys asking, uh, will we ever have negative interest rates? Is my one million cash in the bank? Uh, you know, look, don't keep a million dollars in the bank cash. You know, you're a fool if you do that. Uh, get rid of those dollars. You know, let me invest it for you in, in, in foreign assets. You know, if you want to have cash, uh, the U.S. dollar should be your last choice. Or maybe not the very last choice, but certainly there are plenty of other currencies that are not as fatally flawed as the dollar. But, of course, none of the currencies can stand can hold a candle to gold. 
Uh, so if you have a million dollars in cash, you better have a lot of gold, you know, and if you don't, then take that cash and buy some gold. Go to Shift Gold, right? Get some gold, get some gold and store it in your house and, and, and you know, get a gold money account. Get some gold over there, too. Uh, do I, what do I think about short-term treasury bills? Better than long-term treasury bills. Look, if you're going to buy, if you're going to loan money to the U.S. government, make, it, make sure it's a short maturity. So if you're going to have any money in treasuries, I don't really have any. I mean, I have, you know, I, I keep some cash around, but a minimal amount. Um, but yeah, I mean, keep the maturities as short as possible because that way, you know, when interest rates really spike, at least you won't have an int- that, that type of loss. You know, long-term bonds uh, lose a lot of value when rates go up. And, you know, and inflation will erode away the value more because it has more time to compound. What do you think will happen when Deutsche Bank implodes? Deutsche Bank, I mean, I've been bearish on that stock for years. Uh, the stock has continued to decline to make new lows. Uh, recently, they were able to do something, uh, restructuring. Uh, you know, I doubt it's enough. I'm sure there's uh, uh, more fire, uh, you know, that, to go with that smoke. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be buying stock in Deutsche Bank, but I don't necessarily think that demise of Deutsche Bank is, uh, you know, what's going to ignite this thing. I mean, I think the problems are much bigger uh, than Deutsche Bank is more of a symptom than the cause of the problem. Peter, if silver has been used as money throughout history, why should I buy gold and not silver? Why should I buy any gold and just buy silver? Well, look, you know, you could do that. I mean, I personally think that silver will outperform gold. But silver is, you know, more expensive to store, more bulky to have. Uh, so, um, you know, I recommend that you buy both metals, but if I'm wrong, let's say gold goes down, uh, by 30 or 40%, silver might go down by even more than that. Although the ratio is already a record low. Uh, so I I think the risk in silver relative to gold is not as great as it normally would be. That is another reason for silver. Because normally, you have a lot more downside in silver than gold if the metals go down. That may not be the case right now, given how cheap silver is. So I think that as a bet, silver is a better bet than it's really ever been when you want to relate the upside potential versus the downside risk. So if somebody only wanted to buy silver, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that was the wrong thing. And in fact, especially if you're only investing a small amount of money, if someone said, hey, I got $1,000, $500. I put it all in silver, sure. Why not? You know, I mean, I do think it has more upside than gold. And then when the ratio contracts, you could sell some of your silver and buy some gold. Um, what is, if the Fed is signaling it will cut rates tomorrow only to change course and screw Republicans and do the bidding, would it be at the start of a down? Look, Look, I think if the Fed doesn't cut rates on Wednesday, right? The meeting starts tomorrow on Tuesday. We get the the decision on Wednesday. If the Fed doesn't cut rates, the market's going to get killed, you know? So the Fed's going to cut rates. The question is, you know, is it going to be a a hawkish cut or a dovish cut to the extent that there is a, a hawkish cut? Because the markets want more than 125 basis point cut. Trump wants more than 125 basis point cut. Uh, And we're going to get one. I just don't know if we're going to get one on Wednesday. We'll see. Uh, But I do think there could there will be a buy the rumor, sell the fact. I mean, personally, I think that this rate cut 
has been so anticipated and so telegraphed that there's a good chance that the stock market goes down even if the Fed cuts rates. But it will really go down if they don't, which is why they will. Peter, are you aware that even Jim Cramer is now recommending 10% gold? Yeah, I've seen Cramer. He's recommended gold before. I mean, it's not the first time he's recommended gold. He does it once in a while. And he's right. And it's not just Cramer. There's a lot of uh, smarter people than Cramer in the investment world uh, that are recommending gold. I've spoken about some of them on my podcast. But you have Ray Dalio of Bridgewater is saying, you know, 10% gold. Mark Mobius, who took over for John Templeton. The Templeton Funds is saying 10% gold. Uh, there are a lot of people that are saying you should have 10% gold. I've been saying 5 to 10% gold for years, and now I have more company. But it's still a minority opinion. But I think eventually uh, every portfolio will have 10% gold, 5 to 10% gold. Now, in order to get from where we are now, where the average portfolio has no gold, maybe 1%, if you average the few people that have some with all the people that have none, in order to get from where we are to where we need to be, can you imagine how much higher the price of gold would have to be to make that possible, right? That's why I own my gold now, right? Because that is going to happen. But I want to, I want to, I want to invest ahead of the herd, right? I want to anticipate what people are going to do and do it before they do. Even if I have to wait five or 10 years or whatever to get paid or more, I know I'm going to get paid. If I get where everybody's going to go before they do, right? I am going to win. Right? The key is just don't lose your patience. Don't give up along the way. I've had some of my clients, unfortunately, have done that. And, um, you know, and I feel badly for them. Uh, and I'm doing my best to make sure that everybody stays the course uh, because I'm so confident uh, that the payoff is there and that the, the payoff will be worth the wait. And the fact that we've waited as long as we have, we're going to be paid even more. Right? The victory is going to be that much sweeter. Uh, as a result. Okay. Um, Will there be asset confiscation under Elizabeth Warren? Look, if we get the wealth tax, a wealth tax is confiscation, right? If they're going to have a tax of 2 or 3% on your wealth, they're confiscating 2 to 3% of your wealth every year, right? That's what it is. It's unconstitutional, of course, a wealth tax. Uh, but that doesn't mean we won't have one. There's a lot of things that we have that are unconstitutional. But, I mean, we may not, we, the Constitution may save us from that. Uh, but we're going to get other high taxes. And inflation is confiscation, right? The government prints money. They confiscate your purchasing power. The government's going to confiscate a lot of stuff. That's a problem. What if the U.S. bought gold with the money? That's what they should be doing. The government, yeah, I mean, the government, U.S. should be buying as much gold as we can. Now, supposedly, we have a lot of gold in Fort Knox. Supposedly, America has more gold than any other country. Supposedly. Because we haven't had, there hasn't been an audit of Fort Knox. We don't know if, there's, if the gold is still there. Right? What if it's not there? What if they've been selling it? What if that's one of the reasons the price is down? What if we've secretly unloaded the gold? I don't know. I have no idea. I hope we've got that gold in Fort Knox. As an American, I hope we have it. Because if we don't, we're in even more trouble than, 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 uh, than I realize. Peter, what is your opinion of Jeff Gunlock, who thinks it's possible the Federal Reserve to peg interest rates rather than allow market forces? Um, who thinks it's possible? 
Um, I'm not sure if I get does I don't, does Jeff think the Fed should peg interest rates? I don't think he does. I think Jeff agrees with me that the Fed should not be pegging interest rates. That the Fed should be allowing the market to set interest rates. And if the market was setting rates, they'd be much higher, which means the bubbles would have popped a long time ago. Which means government would have had to cut spending a long time ago. Uh, but the Fed has simply enabled all this, uh, you know, bad stuff to continue. So I, I think, I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, again, you know, I've met Jeff. I've been to his house. We've had conversations. I think he's a, I think he's a good guy. I think he's uh, probably doesn't even get as much credit as he should uh, as far as, you know, the mainstream out there. Uh, if he's even considered mainstream, I mean, he is because he's, you know, managing a lot of mainstream money. Uh, so I'm out on the fringe and, you know, some people don't really respect me in the investment community. Although, again, some people respect me in private. They don't want to acknowledge it in public. But it's OK to, you know, to acknowledge respect for Jeff Gunlock. And, you know, uh, so I, I think that, you know, I, and I think that the two of us probably uh, agree with a lot more on a lot more things than Jeff would publicly admit to. And, I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, putting words in his mouth. Uh, but I think I think we're pretty much on the same page, even if, you know, my page is a lot more colorful and maybe more scary than his. And I've written up, written more on it. I think we're, I think we're there. Um, would I pool money together with others uh, to buy land and start a new country? Probably not. I think that's a little ambitious. Uh, I'm living in Puerto Rico most of the time now. That's as close as I'm coming. Um, but I welcome people to join me there. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, I think it's a great decision. Uh, can't beat the ta- the low taxes and it's a great, you know, it's a great place to live. It's a nice, great environment for kids, family, friends. In fact, probably the best thing about moving to Puerto Rico is the people. And it's not necessarily the Puerto Rican people, which I've got nothing against. I've met some nice Puerto Ricans, but I've met some of the best Americans, right? Some of the greatest, most interesting Americans from the mainland, right, from the from the states, have relocated to Puerto Rico. So there's so many good people. You 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 know, people think, oh, I don't want to leave my friends and my family and move to Puerto Rico. You're going to make so many friends that are so much more like you, right? If you're a free market oriented libertarian guy, you don't like government. You know, there's a lot of successful people just like you in Puerto Rico. Now, sometimes, yeah, there's some limousine liberals there too. There's some Democrats from California who love high taxes, except they don't want to pay them themselves. So they've also moved to Puerto Rico, so they don't have to pay the taxes that they're voting uh, uh, for others to pay. That sometimes that you know can be a little frustrating, but there's you know it's a good place to be. Blake, okay, we are really running up against the top. Why is the Fed's own large majority of U.S. debt? Um, why don't they get a lot? They they, 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 again, the Fed is not trying to get a good return. They're trying to prop up the government. They're trying to uh, prevent the government from having to default, right? They're trying to make it easier for politicians uh, to be reckless and irresponsible, which is not what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be there uh, to take the punch bowl away, not continuously spike it, which is what they've been doing. Is beer and cigarette stocks safe during a recession? Well, they're defensive stocks. I mean, we own some of the tobacco names. Uh, that have been beaten down. I think some of these tobacco stocks are really good values right now. Alcohol, the so-called sin stocks. Yeah, they generally do well. They're defensive type stocks. We own some of these international uh, sin type stocks right now. I also own some of the online gaming stocks uh, in our portfolio. So yeah, I like, I like those sectors. 
uh, would high inflation bump everybody into a high tax bracket? You know, that's what my dad covers a lot in the Kingdom of Malts. Again, available at shift, shiftbooks.com. I forgot, maybe I forgot to give out the website to get my dad's book. You got to go to shiftbooks.com. That's where I'm selling them, shiftbooks.com. Um, but... Um, yeah, there's not as many tax brackets as there used to be. Uh, but yeah, that's what happens. That's another reason the government creates inflation is to push people into higher tax brackets. It also creates capital gains, right, that don't exist because inflation creates phony capital gains and now the government gets to tax you. And believe me, when the Democrats win, if I'm right and they win in 2020, one of the taxes they're jacking way up is the capital gains tax. In fact, I think they will eliminate completely the differential between capital gains and ordinary income. So your capital gains taxes are going way up. Mine are locked at zero in Puerto Rico. It's another reason to be there. What are your thoughts on agriculture and ranching? Hey, in inflationary times, these are industries that you want to be in. Like Jimmy Rogers always says, eventually the farmers are going to be the ones driving all the Ferraris. Um, Peter, how accurate was the big short? You know, I mean, to be honest, I didn't even I, I haven't even seen the big short, you know, just it just it just frustrates me. Uh, so I haven't even watched it. So I couldn't even tell you how accurate it is. Um, I lived it. I didn't have to watch it. I, I lived it. Um, what is the most likely course for residential real estate in an inflationary scenario? I said, I mean, it, real estate's going to lose value in real terms. It may go up in nominal terms, but in real terms, it's going to lose value, especially here in the United States. Let me just fast forward through these because it's getting late here. Let me see. Are there any? All right. There's not that many left. Um, do I think there will be hyperinflation in the eurozone? Could be eventually. Again, I think the dollar will see its... Day of reckoning before the euro, but both currencies are flawed. I don't know why my kid keeps calling me. I mean, he knows I'm doing this thing live, and he keeps calling me on his on my cell phone. Um, unless there's some kind of problem that I don't know about, you know, maybe I should answer it. I don't know. Hold on. Hello. Oh, I don't know. All right. I'm still doing a thing, though. OK, but I don't know. I'm, I, I can only see what's on my screen. But let me let me go. Thanks. Thanks for the heads up. But OK, not a problem. Not a problem. All right. Um, Peter, I don't see how stocks come out better than people owning currencies in hyperinflation. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the reasons to own stocks in inflation, look, Companies have debt on the books, right? So if you uh, own shares of a company that has debt, that debt gets wiped out. So the bondholders lose money. And now the stockholders basically, you know, don't owe any money anymore. So if you own stock and the stock has debt and there's massive inflation, then the debt is wiped out. And that's another way that you benefit from being a stock owner in inflation. Now, if inflation drives up interest rates, higher interest rates can make stocks lose value, and it will. But hyperinflation that wipes out debt completely is a big boon 
for the equity owner. Now, if you own one of these stocks with a crazy PE, 50 times earnings, 100 times earnings, it might use, the stock can still collapse even if the debt is wiped out. But if you own a stock at a low PE that also has debt and inflation wipes it out, then that's great. You see, deflation would benefit the bondholders. If we had massive deflation, the company would go bankrupt. And now all the assets would go to the bondholders. So in a deflationary collapse, the equity owners get wiped out and the bondholders end up with all the assets. But in hyperinflation, it's the bondholders that get wiped out and the equity holders that have all the assets. That's why I favor equity over debt. That's why I'm telling people to buy assets and not paper because I'm in the inflation camp, not the deflation camp. Do I think that China plays a role in U.S. inflation? Yes, I think China is helping to spare Americans from suffering the full wrath of the inflation that we create and export to China. Because remember the dynamic, right? You create money and that money bids up prices. Well, what are we doing with China? We create money and send it to China. And China creates products and sends them to us. So the inflation is exported. And we get all these products that we didn't produce that's keeping prices down. So we export the inflation to China. Now, what does China do uh, with the products they've produced? Well, since those products are shipped to America, they're not available for the Chinese. uh, So Chinese prices are higher than they otherwise would be. And then the Chinese take the money and they buy treasuries, stuff like that. So now they recycle the inflation into our financial assets. So we benefit a second time because we get somebody to buy our bonds keeping our interest rates down. So the Chinese are keeping our interest rates down and keeping our consumer prices down. Eventually, they're going to stop doing that. The Chinese aren't going to want our paper anymore. They're going to send it back. They're not going to send us their stuff. And all that inflation that we exported, all those chickens are going to come home to roost. Um, How bad do I see inflation getting? It's going to get pretty bad. Hopefully, it won't get to hyperinflation. But believe me, it's going to be worse than anything we experienced in the 1970s. Um, Case for deflation, surging population in Africa and India. Cheap No, I mean, look, all this stuff, people talk about the savings glut. They try to come up with all sorts of reasons. Look. What's doing it is the dollar is the reserve currency. Yes, you know, productivity, the fact that a lot of people that were in communist countries who are now uh, in freer, they are more productive, they're making more stuff, but unfortunately they're shipping that stuff to us. I mean, it's fortunate for us, but it's unfortunate for them. But I think, you know, when the dollar collapses, you know, this is not going to be a factor because the countries that are producing are going to do the consuming. You know, there is not a savings glut. This is all a bunch of nonsense. I mean, America has a huge shortage of savings. There is a lot of savings in other countries, but unfortunately, a lot of that is being squandered uh, because it's being diverted into U.S. treasuries or U.S. mortgage-backed securities or you know, other government debt uh, instead of being used productively uh, to invest in their own economies. Um, Oh, okay. 
I want to give a shout out. I guess, look, I'm going to wrap this thing up. It's midnight. I'm tired. Uh, I know we started a little late, but it's still almost a three-hour deal uh, because of the problems. Hopefully, the next time we do this, we don't have any problems. Hopefully, nobody is going to make a, a video, you know, making fun of the, the problems we had at the beginning. Uh, but uh, we're using a new uh, uh, software. These guys, the company is Steamyard. Uh, they have a platform that we're using that's making easier for me to kind of moderate all the comments and to see what's going on. Uh, apparently, they're also uh, Peter Schiff fans because uh, we actually called them. We had some questions about their product and how to upload it. So they were very excited that I was going to be using it in today's um, uh, live stream. So uh, Steamyard is the name of the company. And again, you know, obviously I plug my own businesses throughout this, uh, this uh, you know, live stream, but I am serious. I mean, I, I am doing this because I passionately believe uh, what I'm doing is right and that I'm going to help a lot of people. You need to buy gold. Uh, Shiftgold.com uh, is my uh, gold company. Goldmoney.com, um, another company that I'm affiliated with. Uh, you know, and Goldmoney.com actually owns Shift Gold now. We're partners there. Great guys. Uh, so open up a gold money account. Uh, go, you know, call a, a rep at Shift Gold. Uh, talk to my brokers at Europe Pacific Capital if you have larger portfolios that you'd like me to manage for you, either in my funds and my separately managed accounts. And as I said, pick up a copy while supplies last of my dad's book, The Kingdom of Malts, at shiftbooks.com. Um, you know, we're, we're going to run out, you know, probably by the end of the year. They're autographed copies. I'm selling them for 25 bucks. Uh, a lot of people always ask me, you know, you know, what influenced me? How, what, how did I learn what I know? It was reading books like this and having a father uh, that educated me. And, you know, my father talks to me now through his books. Uh, you know, he can't do it in personally. And so when I reread these books, I always hear my father's voice, which is a, a, an interesting thing. Is I hear his voice in my head when I'm reading. I, you know, I, you know, it's his voice that's reading to me. So if you want to experience that, I mean, obviously you don't even know my dad's voice, but you want to get inside my head, uh, you know, this book is a, is a good way to do it. King of Malts. Anyway, bye everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Until the next uh, live uh, video stream, make sure and just check out my regular podcasts on this YouTube channel or directly on my website, shiftradio.com or any place like iTunes uh, where they feature podcasts. Good night, everybody. Thank you.